Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Hey, this is Rye from Sabbath Bloody Podcast, and my brothers, Clint and Ethan, are about to shove some metal up your podcast, one episode at a time. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast, I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. He is, and this is episode 145, and we are, after months and months, going back to our series, A Year in the Life of Metallica. We're talking about 1999, the final year of Clint's favorite era. That's true. That is true. Things got really weird in 2000. Yeah, moving forward into the uh, the new millennium. This does represent, in a lot of ways, the last of an era, because, you know, I'm in a little Metallica history here, of course, 2000 was when... 2000 was the first year in almost 10 years where they didn't ha- they took a break kind of. Mm-hmm. They didn't have anything on the books. Right. So that in itself is a little odd. Secondly, that's when Napster happened and then January of 2001 is when Newstead quit. So after this this is kind of the last golden year in terms yeah. of like this is just them still hitting it, crushing. Right. Um we're going to go over in excruciating detail everything that happened in this year from S&M to uh, they're you know finishing their tours. We've got it all here. We're going to go through every month, every cool thing that they did. That's but, right. But you're right. It is kind of uh, the, the last of my favorite era. Yeah, I mean, and it's still a great year. I mean, obviously, with the original S&M coming out, um, it's so odd to think that because we just saw S&M too, it's been 20 years since all that happened. But yeah. this was, I would say this was kind of the year that reignited my love for this band. Because, I mean, I, I, still, I still was a huge Metallica fan in the 90s. Um, load and reload at the time, I was just a di- completely different person and I didn't this latch. This before the operation. It was before the operation. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't latch onto those records like you did or like a lot of people did. I, I liked a lot of the tunes on it, but I didn't dive deep on those. But this was the year because of SM that I was like, fuck, I love this band so much. Because the record had older material and it was a f- cool idea. It was just a refreshing album to me. It was, it was like when you, when you, so yeah, let's just camp out here for one second because I'm fascinated by this because we okay. represent sort of two different yeah. plate shifts in the band at this time. So did you get SM because it was a cool idea or did you get SM because even though for you it had some of the load reload stuff, it also had battery and puppets and, you know, one. Yeah, I think it was some of that. Uh, I also, I know that before S&M came out, I was also uh, hip to Apocalyptica mm-hmm. and thought that was super cool with the four cellos playing Metallica songs. And the idea of Metallica playing at the symphony was badass to me. It wasn't weird. You know, some fans were weirded out by that. I loved it, and I, I couldn't wait for it. I can't imagine being weirded out by it. I thought it was awesome. Um, but you liked No Leaf Clover. I love No Leaf Clover. See, that perplexes me a little bit too, because a lot of you, I mean, No Leaf Clover is pretty much universally loved, even yeah. by diehards and the, old, the older Thrash Cats. Right. But to me, No Leaf Clover kind of fits in with Load and Reload. It's more of it that. Does, yeah. It's more of that than Disposable Heroes, obviously. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and I'm not saying I, I was like, these Reload sucks. Right. I wasn't right. that guy at all. Um, 
I, I think I was a bit of a first five albums mm-hmm. purist for a while. Um, not to the extent of some people that just fully got off the ride after that and haven't listened to them since, right. you know. But uh, plus at the time, in the mid-90s in high school, man, I was discovering so many different kinds of music. That's when I got into reggae and ska and punk rock and all this, you know, stuff that I'd never really gotten into before. Right. And so it was really exciting for me as a high school kid to be getting into all these new kinds of music and, you know, being in bands with horn players and all that stuff. And so I think it wasn't on purpose that I was pulling away from Metallica. It just naturally happened, I think. Well, I think that's important. That happens to any music lover, especially Mm -hmm. someone like you as a kid who would obviously now go on to make music your life and your profession. There comes a time for all of us when we have to go learn other things Mm -hmm. and when we get turned on to other shit. And one of the things that's cool about Metallica being one of your favorite bands is the, the endurance. Right. I've taken many left turns and, and, you know, gone off the beaten path of what I've gotten into musically. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, all I can listen to pretty much is Post Malone and Drake. So yeah. I'm, I'm exploring different things for me, and that's kind of infecting my songwriting in a positive way. Yeah. But Metallica remains, you know, like they're the foundation. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I, I can, as a 41-year-old man now, like, any day I can throw on a Metallica record on my turntable and be stoked. No, easily top five of all time. Yeah. They're, they're I mean, my favorite metal band. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we even talked about this before we recorded last week about how the track listing on Hardwired is different than the CD or mm-hmm. or streaming sites or whatever. Yeah. But I, I've realized that because I just threw it on the turntable the other morning. I'm like, I fucking love this band. Yeah. I, just wanna, I, I always want to listen to them. Hardwired still holds up, man. Hardwired is still so dope. Absolutely. I, I was, uh, yeah, it was just a morning. I didn't have much going on until I was coming over, over here to HQ2, by the way. Here we are. Hello, and, YouTubers, by the way. Hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, yeah, and so I just, that's my routine in the morning. You know, I get up, take care of the dogs, my wife's at work, I throw on a record, crank mm-hmm. it. You know, this morning I was listening to a live record by Bob Marley. Yeah. You know, um, it's always something different. If you follow me on social media, I post that stuff like every morning what I'm listening to. Just, yeah, you can find Ethan and I both on, on all the various social medias under our, just our names. Yeah. Ethan Luck, Clint Wells. Yeah. But yeah, so you're playing a record every morning. And- yeah, I play a record every morning, obviously at night too, when I'm just chilling in my studio by myself and... Uh, I don't know where we're going with this, but basically Metallica is always in there. Like I would say probably at least once or twice a week, Metallica records hit in the turntable, hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's something, you know, like I don't often listen to kill them all. And sometimes that's got to be on the turntable. Yeah. You know, some that, that, and especially like harder, heavy, heavier music. Sometimes like it's like coffee in the morning. It kind of wakes me up a little <laughs> bit right. sometimes, you know, or like this morning I was just super tired. I woke up extra early cause it's dumb time change. Yeah, I agree. I hate it. I agree. So I put on something chill. but Yeah, some Portishead or something. Something to keep you sleepy. Keep me sleepy. I listen to a lot of sleepy music. Yeah. I realized that recently. You need to get that Julian Baker record on, on wax. I know, I know. That's I a great late night record. Well, here we are just getting nerdy about music. We need to talk about Metallica, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Well, we're going to burn down 99. It was really fun putting this together and kind of reliving that year. And like I said, we're going to do it in excruciating detail. What I love about the Year in the Life series that we've been doing, we've covered every year so far up until 99. We're going to mm-hmm. do every year of the band's history right. is that when that project's said and done, it's going to be a super comprehensive list of everything that happened to this yeah, band. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's known. Because mm-hmm. we come through, you know, Metallica.com is a great resource, obviously Googling the shit out of these years and this right. band. You know, like they won, something I didn't know doing the research, they won some Bammies. What are the Bammies? You right, look at these yeah. Bay Area uh, awards that they won and Billboard stuff and per- this performance of Michael Kamen at the MGM that I forgot about. Mm-hmm. All that sorts of stuff. And... um 
it's going to be fun to just have all that in one place. Yeah, other, some other resources from Mick Wall's book, Inner Night, which I can't recommend highly enough. That's a good one. And then I also look at Joel McIver's book called Injustice for All the Truth About Metallica, but I cannot recommend it. It's filled with errors and filled with a lot of personal cynical anecdotes about mm. post black album era oh yeah okay where i'm like man i'm not trying to hear what you think about load and reload you yeah. fucker <laughs> so anyway if you're joining us for the first time we are an all metallica podcast ethan and i are both professional touring musicians we do this every week now we've been doing it for three years almost three on january 1st will be the three-year anniversary of our first three episodes people have been asking if we're doing a party and the answer is yes yeah we'll do Counting what we did on the first year, there won't be unfortunately won't be a Metallica show the following night. Not not that we know of. Maybe they're planning a secret Nashville show, but no, they're not. Do we want to talk about what we're doing in the, this month at the Cobra or not Cobra? No, but at it's, the um, at the Crying Wolf. Yeah, I, I'm. It's a little foggy because the communication hasn't been great. Um, so there's a whiskey taste. Is it a whiskey tasting yeah, so for Black and Whiskey? They're doing a Black and Whiskey event at the Crying Wolf in East Nashville, and uh, they've reached out to us <clears throat> to be a part of it somehow. And I didn't want to like you know oversell us and and have us be swamped all night long because it's not our party. Sure. So um, I just basically said, hey, maybe we can do like a round of trivia or something, right? You know, and then just be around and you know talk about the podcast stuff like that. But it'll be a cool event, Black and Whiskey. There's gonna be a, a Metallica cover band. Metallica inspired art. Um, my friend uh, Jessica Fife is actually a great, great painter, and uh, she's painting a portrait of James. Cool. So cool stuff like that. So if you're in the Nashville area, come to the Crying Wolf. It's November twenty fourth. <laughs> you can tell by the uh, the way his voice got high at the end that we don't know the exact date. Let's see here, real quick. It does sound interesting, though. I mean, it's you know I don't want to promote it too much as a metal up your podcast thing because that might take a little bit away from the party in January, yeah. but. We will be there apparently representing the podcast and doing trivia and talking to other Metallica nerds. And you never know, man. Uh, you know, Rob Trujillo is known to show up at some of these things. Maybe Lars Ulrich yeah. might show up. Q Prime, Metallica's management famously, have offices here. Uh, maybe Peter Minch or Cliff Bernstein will show up and we can hound them into being on the show. You never know. Never know. But that is what we're doing now. There's a few little bits of news here before we get into 1999. And uh, I'll just lead us off with this interview that Kirk did with Annie Clark, who most people know through the moniker St. Vincent, who's badass, by the way. Yeah. Even. Don't worry about the date. I know. I, I, I just kind of found it. Well, what is it? Let's move on. Well, no, it is November 24th. That was okay, great. Okay, great. Right. So Kirk did this interview with Annie Clark, St. Vincent. I don't know if you've ever listened to St. Vincent. She's, she's rad. so badass. Yeah, she's awesome. So Rolling Stone's doing this series called Musician on Musicians, and it's just these people talking. And what's cool is, you know, if you have a Rolling Stone journalist talking to Slash... You're going to get a normal, you know, interview where they hit the points they need to hit. Slash is going to promote whatever he's doing. Mm -hmm. What's cool about artists interviewing artists is a lot of that shit goes away. These aren't right. journalists. These are people who can ask questions that are actually interesting because yeah. they're both living concurrent lives. So one of the, I, re I recommend you all go find it. It's on, just Google it. Google's your friend. But what's fascinating about this interview, so it says, Hammett's quizzed by Clark about his influences and process. He says, I always feel like I have so much more to say on an album, but I can't say it. It's crazy because I'm so curious about music in general. I play a lot of different stuff, jazz, bossa nova, blues, gypsy jazz, Eastern European ballads. I play all that stuff, but no one knows I can play it. It's crazy. He says, I'm always trying to sneak in jazz voicings and chords, little techniques here and there in Metallica. To which Clark asks if the guitarist's ideas are ever shot down. All the time, Hammett replies, that sounds too bluesy. And I'm like, fucking hell, it's just a slide. All right, whatever, 
tone police. <laughs> but then he quickly says, but you need the tone police. Tone is super important. So it's cool that he, you know, obviously he, he has embraced this for many, many years, but it's cool that he's accepting of ideas getting shot down. Because there's musicians you've been in band, we've all been in bands with that will take that riff to the grave. Like, no, no, it has to be in there. Like, look, it's not best for the song, dude. We don't, you know, this one's better. And they, their pride gets hurt and all that stuff. It's like, oh my God, come on. But it's cool he's such a team player with that. Yeah, stuff. I mean, they're, they're, you know, a classic band like Queen is an example of a band where they let everyone have a say. Because mm-hmm. that's how kind of cool they were in that way. Like, right. the drummer wrote a song. He gets to sing a song about the cars going too fast or whatever. And what you kind of get are... You, Queen's songbook is one of the greatest songbooks ever in mm-hmm. terms of like the songs that they're hits. Right. But not a lot of people, like other than A Night at the Opera, are that into Queen B-sides and deep cuts. Yeah, sure. Because they kind of let everyone have a voice and the bass, you know, like mm-hmm. the bass player wrote another one, Bites of Dust, that's awesome, but do you want to hear his other 10 songs that aren't that good? Right, exactly. And, and even my beloved Soundgarden, I would say, is a victim of this. Their records are tend to be long because... He, Chris Cornell was so cool that whatever Ben Shepard or Matt Cameron wrote that made the record, you know? Mm-hmm. A couple songs that Ben Shepard even sings, which I don't think was a great idea for a Soundgarden record. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. So when you got a band like Metallica where everything's so tight and so micromanaged, yeah, shit gets shut down, dude. Not yeah. every idea is valid. Absolutely, and, yeah. And uh, and Kirk also has the confidence of knowing that what has made it to the table are some of the most iconic parts of their music. Mm-hmm, absolutely. The Bridge to Creeping Death, Inner Sandman, we've talked about you know over and over. And of course, his amazing solo work. Yeah. He may not have written The Unforgiven, but good, good God, The Unforgiven solo is probably the most exciting part of that song. Oh, it's amazing. But I guess the reason that this interview was kind of kicking up some dirt this week is because, you know, when Kirk wasn't able to contribute to Hardwired, the boys, including James, seemed a little hard on him about it. Mm-hmm. You know? James casting aspersions on the story of did he really lose his phone? Right. Did he have some other stuff going on? Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, now James has got the stuff going on. And, and Metall- Kirk's ready to roll. <laughs> and Metallica's on hold, you know? Yeah. So I, I just feel like there's some, uh, there's some subtext at play with this interview. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, he, he's been saying it for quite some time now. But he's got a bunch of ideas. New ideas, yeah. yeah. So he's, he's, he's ready to roll. I think that he would probably even say this in front of them. I think so, too. And I think they would probably say, yeah, we are the tone police, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's also common knowledge these days that Hetfield and Ulrich, if, 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 if it's not good enough to get past them, then it's not going. Sure. You know? I mean, everyone knows And that. they would say that about Jason, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I always wanted to defend uh, uh, James and Lars in, in the whole hazing of Jason and rejecting his material. You know, his first thing out of the shoot was blackened, and they put that on the record. So mm-hmm. first I, track, I don't yeah. think they were... I, I think they really did just have high standards. Yeah, very, if, oh, very much so. And if you ma- if you survived that, you're in. Yeah, if, and, if and your riff is as good as Blackened, you're in. If, yeah. you, if your shit's not that good and it can't beat, you know, uh, Shortest Straw or Harvester yeah. of Sorrow or Dire's Eve, then fuck mm-hmm. off. Well, and high standards can also be mistaken for someone being just a dick. Sure. You know? And sometimes it can come across like that for sure. You know, but yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. Yes, their standards are going to be high. That's why we have albums like Master of Puppets, you know, like... And I'll say this too to defend this era that we're about to talk about, kind of the load era, post black album through I Disappear ish, uh, when they kind of did let loose a little bit on, and let Kirk do more. It's the most interesting guitar sounds in all their records. Mm-hmm. Like the the sound of Master of Puppets is the sound of like metal. Sure. And that's great. The chugga chugga, the thickener. But there's not a lot by way of interesting tones. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's it's all very thrash tones. It's just thrashy metal, and that's kind of the standard, the gold standard now, and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but really, the textures of load and reload, mm-hmm. the the weird effects, and you know, even him, like you know, talking about this thing and using a slide and stuff like that, like, all that stuff. Yeah, I think that got more interesting. Yeah. Um, so anyway, go check that article out. Another thing in the news, Metallica has once again donated, I believe, a hundred thousand yeah. dollars to wildlife relief. Because uh, there are all these wildfires in California, once again, by the way. Not some great stuff happening with the planet. Yeah, this is, I, I obviously grew up out there in that. It's fucking it's horrible. Common, yeah. it, and, it, it, you know, it is, whatever you believe politically, whatever. It is definitely getting worse. It's getting worse for it's sure. It's getting worse. It wasn't this bad when I was growing up. Well, of for course. Sure. Just look at the science of it. Just yeah. look, look at the, you, we can log what happens each year. It's This is like the third year in a row that it's this bad. Yeah, yeah. So they, they put a post on Instagram uh, and on all their socials. It said, sadly, for a third year in a row, communities we have called home throughout the state of California are again experiencing the tragedy left in the wake of the wildfires. All within my hands, Foundation would like to lend, lend support to those affected in both Northern and Southern California by donating $100,000 to assist in relief. 50000 to the Sonoma County a Resilience Fund created uh, by the Community Foundation of Sonoma County and $50,000 to the Wildfire Relief Fund created by a California Community Foundation. Uh, goes on to say both organizations are dedicated to long-term recovery efforts, helping residents resume normal lives as they get back on their feet of the, the devastation uh, of these firestorms. Uh, we'd also like to encourage you to join us in supporting those in need, as well as first responders who have been working tirelessly to keep Californians safe, whether able to contribute money, non-perishable food, clothing, or other supplies, or your time of volunteering uh, or providing temporary housing. Every bit helps. And then you can, if you want to, you can go to, uh, go on their Instagram. They're, they have links in that post. Um, you can do a Sonoma County Resilience Fund, um, and that's SonomaCF.org uh, or CalFund.org. Cool. Yeah, I mean, just another another way in which I'm proud of that band and yeah. proud to be a fan. And, of course, if anyone can help, if anyone's affected by the fires, mm-hmm. we send our love and support. And Yeah, absolutely. It, it's no joke, man. It's, it's tough because it's like a hundred grand. I mean, I, it's hard for me to fathom $100,000 to give away. But at the same time, I mean, that's probably not much in terms of relief funds for yeah. families whose lives have been completely ruined, mm-hmm. their homes gone, everything they, all their, you know, everything they yeah. have burned up. So yeah, I mean, last year when those happened in Northern California, I had a friend that uh, lives near like Modesto, California. Mm-hmm. Whole house gone. Yeah, hundred percent gone. All this whole studio, everything. Think about what you would have to like. What would it look like for you or me? To get back on track, doing what we do, if everything in our house burned, it, wasn't, it wouldn't be cheap. It I would mean, just, it would be so devastating. Yeah, and that's, I mean, and that's just like getting back. I mean, obviously, this is you know, music is our livelihood, but uh, you know, that's not to mention just basic things, supplies. Yeah. You know, a place to sleep, clothes, a pillow, a blanket, yeah. yeah, clothes, all that stuff. Yeah, it's uh, our our hearts go out to everybody out in California. I mean, I, like I said, growing up out there and seeing these things firsthand, it's no joke, man. And those things will move quick, especially yeah. with like Santa Ana winds. So, all the love and peace to everybody out in California yeah, for that. Totally. All right, uh, a few more things. Another sad note uh, note in the news. Lars posted this last night. The merciful ba- merciful fate bass player Timmy Hansen passed away. Who was at the thirtieth anniversary shows? Who I guess had been struggling with cancer for a while. Oh, sure. I went and looked at King Diamond's. Uh, Instagram post about him. He said he had talked to him October 24th. Wow. And said he could tell on the phone that it was pre- getting pretty bad. Oh, man. That's a shame. So, you know, that's one of these bands that, if had they not existed, there may not be Metallica as we know it. Right, yeah. And it's so important to you out there, especially the youths. Especially the youth out the, there. The youths. Two youths. Um, Two youths. 
it's especially important to go find out who your favorite band's favorite bands were. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, my record collection is filled with the ends of those journeys. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Pearl Jam was really into Pink Floyd and The Who, and now I have a bunch of those records. Yeah. And then, you know, whatever it is. Ryan Adams was a big Bob Dylan fan. Oh, Bob Dylan was a big Woody Guthrie fan. Oh, yeah. shit, you know. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it's a mind and eye-opening experience to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, and Metallica really kind of in, in, in this era, 98, releasing Garage Inc., of course they have the Merciful Fate medley, but... That introduced me to Thin Lizzy mm-hmm. and and to uh, you know all those bands Discharge oh, yeah, and, I mean, and uh, they didn't introduce me to Bob Seger but shit I mean Misfits Misfits and all that yeah. yeah I mean Metallica helped bring the Misfits to the world yes in my opinion I think so too I mean they were they were the original incarnation of the Misfits I believe they were bro- the original lineup was done by the time Garage, uh, Garage Days came out. And that and that's when I discovered the Misfits. I was like, Holy yeah, I think shit. Sam Haim was like active. At Sam that Haim time. was going, yeah, and right. then Danzig was shortly after that. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're also the reason I I recently or a couple months back purchased a Rainbow record, right? You know, because right. of that Ronnie Rising medley. Totally, so bitching. So go uh, maybe go listen to some Merciful Fate. Pour one out for this guy, Timmy Hansen, and uh, we thank him for bringing his music to the world and for inspiring one of our favorite bands. Now, lastly, in the news, there is the Play It Loud Instruments of Rock and Roll exhibit that is happening in Cleveland. I'll read a little bit from this. For those of you who live in the Ohio area, the northern Ohio area, or sort of southern Pennsylvania, wherever North that... E- northeast Ohio. Yeah, it's yeah. like up in the corner there. Up right there by that big lake. Now, Kirk and Robert are guest inductees at this thing. Ooh. So I'm going to read a little bit. It says it opens November 22nd, closes September 13th of 2020. So you have basically a year to check it out. Um, our much-anticipated exhibit celebrates the iconic musical instruments that gave rock and roll its signature sound, co-organized with The Met, which, by the way, The Met is where I went and saw, with our friend Sarah, That's right. uh, the, the whatever the rock and roll exhibit is there. So I think it's some crossover of these instruments. And let me tell you guys, to, st- to stand in front of Prince's guitars and outfits or to stand in front of Jimmy Page's 1958 Les Paul or even Tom Morello's soul power guitar, mm-hmm. uh, the Beatles instruments, Metallica's instruments, it's it sounds cheesy, but it's re- a really powerful experience. It absolutely is. 100%. I mean, th- these things are obviously super locked up tight, but they're right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm talking like Eddie Van Halen's Frankenstein guitar. I mean, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Page's rig from the song remains the same. His whole rig, like his weird little like tape echo machines and his amps, so cool. his boots. I mean, guitars that Pete Townsend smashed. The the guitar that Jimi Hendrix hand painted. That's so awesome. It's just insane. So, I went to a Clash exhibit like that when I was in London one time. It was all Clash stuff. Well, like, I sent you. They had Joe Strummer's like Tellys. Yeah. at this thing. Yeah, yeah. Those things get shipped around a lot. They'll be at the right. Hall of Fame for a while. Yeah, you know. But it's it's it really is a moving experience. If you're a huge fan of that particular artist, like wow. He wrote whatever song on that guitar yeah. or tracked right. that iconic solo or whatever. It's so bitching. So it says, in co-organized with the Met, the exhibit offers a rare in-depth look at the instruments that inspired the musicians and made possible the songs we know and love. Play it loud, the instruments of rock and roll is the largest single exhibit the rock halls have ever displayed and takes over entire floors. Fans can expect spectacular new acquisitions and adaptations that make the show unique to its venue. Instruments showcase span from 1939 to today, and many have never been displayed outside of their original concert performance settings. So, wow! Uh, you can buy tickets at uh, rockhall.com. I hope that uh, in the next year my touring schedule takes me through the Cleveland area. Man, I was just there too. Yeah, it's not one of my favorite places to go. No offense, to anyone who lives there. I actually, I've, I've grown to really love Cleveland over the years. 
Cleveland rocks. <laughs> Cleveland's really neat. I mean, a lot of these places, I guess, yeah, they're cool because we get to just hop in and out. Yeah. But I tend to think more about what it would be like if my family lived there. Yeah. There is a great area next time you're there, uh, a, a part of town called, uh, I think it's called Tremont. Uh, and there's some, it's kind of like the East Nashville of uh, of Cleveland. And there's a lot of cool like bars and restaurants and record stores, stuff like that. It's a good part of town. I'm sure I've been there. I've been to Cleveland like 35 times. Yeah, I know. Same. Uh, I'm fine. Um, all right. Well, that does it for the news. Here's the deal. Go leave a positive review on iTunes. We were uh, hovering around 440 or 40, 450 reviews. Yeah. Pretty so cool. thank you to everyone who's ever done that. It really goes a long way for us. It's the easiest way to support the show for sure. Uh, you're going to hear a brand new Patreon commercial today. Ooh. And you're going to hear about that later. But Patreon is just a place to support the show financially. Ethan and I give up a lot of our free time to do this podcast. We've worked really hard to make it as good as we can and to put a lot of value into the show. So Patreon is just a way to say thanks. It's five bucks a month. Yeah. It's a, it's a couple of cups of coffee a month if you can spare that. Uh, we got two new patrons this month. We're going to say their names because at the very minimum, you get a shout out. We That's have right. Ingvar Erickson and Matthew Erbel. Erbel. All Erbel. right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, you. <laughs> thanks you very much. Pleases me to thanks you. We are on all the socials, blah, 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 blah. You can come find us. We have fun on the socials. We really do. We, do. we like to have fun. We like to have a lot of fun over there. Fun, and you know what? Fun is fun. And it's also like just a good way to kind of keep up with what's going on in the world of Metal Up Your Podcast mm-hmm. on a weekly basis outside of the show. We post stuff pretty much every day. That's either news articles, a joke, or cool pictures, yeah. Metallica facts. We retweet a bunch of our fans. Making fun of Ethan not playing the Ryman. Yeah, well, that's... There's some good comments about that, by the way. I didn't. I don't think I saw that. There was one. <laughs> on Facebook? No, on uh, on Instagram. The last, uh, the last post that was up... Oh, the one you put up about... Um, <clears throat> uh, about the last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and let me find it real quick. Okay, apparently it's not there. Probably the most exciting thing we do on the show is wait for you to look stuff up on your phone. Well, you know what? Oh, right, here it is. Here's the... Oh, yeah. You asked, uh, tomorrow at midnight, can anyone guess what show this is from? Mm-hmm. You know, of course, the reload, rehearse, mm-hmm. repeat. Uh, and someone said, Ryman Theater? Not that Ethan would know. <laughs> <laughs> And by the way, it's not the Ryman Theater, and, and Ethan, probably you didn't even know that. It's called the Ryman Auditorium. You're kidding me. It's not a theater. And, but that's okay. You haven't played there, so you, why would you know that? I, I mean, I, usually I don't know names of full names of venues until I play them. I know you've been there, and you walked across the stage while it was empty, and the, it was filled with tinges of sadness and, and failure, but no, it's called the Ryman Auditorium, and you know. Oh, Auditorium. See, I didn't know. I used to just say Bridgestone until I played there, no, and then the it was arena. Bridgestone Arena. Yeah, yeah. Or the Enormo Dome. <laughs> Normo Dome. Have you played Nissan Stadium? Uh, for yeah. like CMA Fest or yes, something? Okay. I have. I have not. I mean, but here's the difference, man. And I, you know, I like to make this delineation because I think it's important. There's a difference between playing it and selling all the tickets. Of course. And playing it for some, you know, corporate event or because you got lucky to be the first of three or direct right. support. You know, I, I generally won't want to put it off my bucket list until I've sold the tickets because that feels different to me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, the, the, you know, if you're part of the reason, like if you're if you're direct support, people sure. are there for you too. Oh yeah, sure. So that feels good. But yeah, if you're like, if it's like a radio show, let's say, you know, where there's like 20 bands all day, and you're right. like on at 10 a.m. Or like you know, and it's just the way people lie on Instagram. Which whatever, I kind of don't blame them. It's just the state of the world. But like, someone will do like a corporate event at Bridgestone Arena, and then they'll post the like today's office. 
Bridgestone <laughs> Arena. I'm like, I'm like, dude. I mean, I would never say this, but this is what I think, and this is what I imagine most people think. I'm like, dude, you're not really playing Bridgestone Arena. It's right. a, and it's okay, but yeah. but I know that that's not real. You didn't sell twenty thousand tickets. That's yeah. not why you're playing Bridgestone Arena. You're playing Bridgestone Arena because you live here, and uh, a, a corporation like Bridgestone mm-hmm. is doing a tire uh, exhibit, and you're playing <laughs> for tire tire vendors. The, the National Touring Tire Museum is coming through like, town. Let's just fucking call it what it is. That's not playing Bridgestone Arena. Yeah, you physically played it, but you're not selling the tickets. But that's not what we mean. We like I've played Bridgestone. That's just not the same fucking thing. Right. Anyway, all right. Um, what else can we say? MetalUpYourPodcast.com. We have a bunch of shit for sale over there. The original logo and the Dagger logo shirts are for sale. Cover our black, and you can find all that over there. Uh, the Metal Tales from the Road. Now, we are kicking that back up. We have a list of maybe 35 people. One of the benefits of Patreon is you can come on the show as like a bonus episode and be an ambassador for whatever show you went to. So maybe that was Woodstock 99, which we're going to talk about today. That's right. Which I, actually our friend Gene Froman is signed up for. Yeah. Or the Orion Festivals, or maybe you saw like a club show at the channel. Maybe and, you were and, in Antarctica. <laughs> maybe you went to Freeze Them All. Maybe you're one of the climate scientists who was there wondering what all the ruckus was about. Yeah, exactly. While you were trying to study. Maybe we can get a damn penguin I was about to say, maybe you were trying to, you know, check the temperature of a penguin by putting a thermometer up its ass, (laughs) and you were hearing the soothing sounds of of Seek and Destroy and wondering what was going on. Maybe you can be on the show and tell us all about that. Yeah, that'd be fun. You guys got (laughs) Wi-Fi down there? Can we uh, Skype you in? Um, Okay, that's going to wrap it up on some of that housekeeping. Now, we get emails. We're so backed up on emails. I apologize to anyone who has sent them. It's been a really busy season that is thankfully kind of winding down for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what your world's like. It's it's steady. Steady. This month, I've, I'm not on the road at all. Uh, just a quick trip to the beach. But uh, any rhyming gigs coming up? Uh, I will be working six of them in January for Brandy. She's doing six shows. Six nights. Yeah. Fuck. All sold out. Wow. Yeah. Different support every night. Uh, I don't know actually. I'm not positive. Wow. Six nights. Six nights. Yeah. I know. Like Jason Isbell does like seven nights. He, did, he I think has the record for the most. Wow. I think it's, it's seven. So wow. Yeah, so I'll 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 be watching people play the Ryman six nights in a row. So sad. I know. If as if I didn't already feel enough like a loser, I might just wear a shirt that says I'm a fucking loser. <laughs> so why don't you kill on me on the side of the stage? Yeah, <laughs> get a Beck shirt. Well, you know, my heart goes out to you. That sounds really. That Thanks, sounds man. like Thoughts that and actually prayers appreciated. Really, really <laughs> be tough. So you know, we're buying on emails. We're trying to catch up, but what we do is we read five per show. This is usually an opportunity to where people ask us questions or they spark conversation about all sorts of Metallica shit. So we're going to do that now in what we affectionately like to call the the email email corner. Yes, please. First email from Jay Middleton says, Hey guys, I had probably one of the coolest moments meeting one of my heroes. Um, no, not one of the Metallica boys, but the almighty Getty Lee. That's cool. Uh, this was really awesome because I got to ask him questions, a question that's been burning on my mind since I read the Master of Puppets Wikipedia page that Getty was originally asked to produce the record. So I asked him, and his response couldn't have been better. He said, you know, thinking back on it, uh, we did have a really good conversation about it. There was just too many timing issues for me. Then he smiled and said, but you know what? I think they did a pretty good job, don't you? Hearing that was pretty awesome. Thought you guys would get a kick out of it. Thanks. Sincerely, Jay Milton. Cool. I couldn't imagine Getty Lee producing. No, I can't either. No. I mean, if what, it was what? a conversation, maybe was it 
a joke? I, I don't, don't know. No, no, I bet it wasn't a joke. I mean, I mean, and I know you know this, but Geddy Lee's a motherfucker. Of course, yeah. I'm trying to think of what Rush record would have been out in 84, 85 that would have inspired them to... Moving Pictures was, with like Tom Sawyer and stuff, that was like... That was 70s, I thought. Was it? Or was that early 80s? I don't know. Um, Let me me spend 10 minutes looking up on my phone. Please, let's not. Let's just not. Let's just not. It doesn't matter. Uh, I think it was a sincere convo. Yeah. I think because he's one of their heroes and he's a musically deep cat and he probably could have done a good job, but it does seem weird now to think about puppets being produced by him. It does seem very weird. But you know, if you really look at the liner notes and and kind of take this whole thing uh, a panoramic view of all this, I don't think Fleming produced those records either really. You know, they say produced by Fleming and Metallica. Right. And I think really what Fleming was was a great engineer. And he had a great yeah. space. Great engineer and also probably a, a, just a, another... A papa bear. Se- another set of ears in the room, another opinion in the room, maybe... And a little bit of a papa bear. Totally. And maybe also like a decision maker when it came down to Hetfield and, and Lars can't decide on a certain thing. And then, okay, Fleming, what do, we, what do you think? But in terms of like musically, you know, and spiritually steering those projects, I think that... I don't think he was like a Bob Rock type. Right. Yeah. Now, I could be wrong, but just from what I've read and seen, and I've read a lot of interviews of Fleming, I've read a lot of interviews with the boys talking about it. Remember that big thing that they did uh, when the Puppets box set came out, mm-hmm. and they had uh, they had Michael Wagner in, yeah, and flew him out, yeah. they talked about all that stuff, and it just it doesn't ring to me of like Bob Rock telling them to shut up and play what he's telling them to right, play. Right, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So I wonder if Getty Lee would have... I just wonder, because I don't think Geddy Lee would be the kind of dude to come in and be that passive about it. Yeah. He would have probably exerted more will because he's fucking Geddy Lee. Well, yeah, and their records are like meticulous too, Rush records. Absolutely. and But but so was Master of Puppets. So yeah. maybe that would have been a good fit. I don't know. I don't know. It's really hard to tell. Maybe he can do the next one. I mean, Rush <laughs> isn't touring anymore. So. Isn't that a shame? That Rush isn't touring yeah. anymore? Yeah. Well, Neil Peart, bas- it's just because of Neil. Neil yeah. basically is like, I'm not, I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they, there was never really like a formal announcement but they did a show, I think it was in California, at the, like kind of the end of a tour. And for the first time almost ever, he walked out from behind the drum kit and like yeah. bowed to the crowd with the rest of the guys. Right. He's a very private he guy. He notoriously like splits after the gig. Yeah, he doesn't and, do meet and greets and no. stuff like that. Um, and so that, everyone's speculating like, whoa, like Neil never does this. I wonder if this is the end. Yeah. My friend Kevin, uh, Getty Lee put out a book, a book of basses. Mm-hmm. All of his because G- big book of bass, I think. <laughs> Is that what it's called? I think it's called him? that, yeah. Well, because he, he, you know, he's a, obviously a bass player and collects basses. And my friend Kevin, the drummer for Rodney, is a his kiss is one of his favorite bands. Getty did a book signing and a Q and A at the basement East. Yep, yeah. And it it was free to the public, and I think you had to buy if you bought the book, which was like seventy five bucks. You got to meet him, and he signed it. Yeah, like the value for that is insane. Yeah. So all he really had to do was just go wait in line because the line was insane. I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, he talks about how there's a you know a picture of him shaking hands with Getty Lee. Yeah. Just at Basement East, just here in That's Nashville. So cool. I know. know. It's like five minutes from my house. Uh, it's interesting to think about all the all the different trajectories of Metallica inter- interfacing with someone like Getty Lee in I 1985. Know. Well, that's cool that Jay got to meet him and talk to him about it. And I do think that's a really cool answer, man. I can just see Getty Lee saying that. Thinking back on it, we did have a really good conversation, just too many timing issues. Then he smiled and said, but you know what? I think they did a pretty good job, don't you? Yeah. That's cool. I, I do. Hey, thanks for asking, Getty. The answer is yes, I do. Yes. All right, Claire Wade writes in and says, Hi, Clint Ethan. New patron here, which thank you, by the way, Claire. Found you in a bit of an odd way. I posted a photo of my Metallica S&M tattoo on Instagram, and a metal podcast, not ours, I'm guessing, started following me. 
I checked out their podcast and they were absolutely slagging Hardwired, which I love. Who is this? Um, Tom Quaid. I don't know. I think he likes Hardwired. I, I honestly don't know. Huh. It gave me the idea of searching for Metallica podcast, though, and I found your Edwin Outwater episode, which, by the way, the conductor of SNM2, we got to speak with lovely Edwin Outwater yep. a few weeks ago. He says, I wish he'd pick Bleeding Me, but it's good they included the Outlaw Torn this time around. And then, sorry, I know this joke is now three years out of date. <laughs> hey, that's, I mean, for a new listener to know that joke is. I think fondly on the time a couple of years ago when that joke was super fresh. Oh. Pe- people were sending you face burns. Oh, it was awesome. In the emails a lot. Yeah. I, I, and I appreciated it. I laughed hard in those, oh, yeah. those days. Uh, SM, she goes on to write, is my favorite album of all time. It's the first Metallica album I owned as a teenager, a present from my dad who'd recently gotten back in touch with us after leaving for America when I was very young. Uh, Claire's from South Wales, UK, I believe. That's New Jersey. Of course. Well, he didn't go that far, did he? Um, She says, Metallica was one of the few things I could chat about over the phone with my dad during those awkward transatlantic phone conversations. Before that, I used to just wait for the music videos to come on television. Uh, I loved, she says, kids these days don't know how difficult life was back then. Man, I, I submit to you all out there in Metal Up Your Podcast land that when you had to wait for that, it was sweeter. Yes. I remember waiting the summer of my of third grade. Here's the song I was waiting for, the video, more than any song, Plush. Ooh, nice. By S- SCP. Well, because the song was so weird and so crazy, yeah. and I don't think I'd had the CD yet. Core had just come out. Yeah. So my only chance of hearing it was on the radio or MTV. Yeah. And when that came on, if you were near me, you better shut the fuck up. Totally. And I was trying to tape it like off the radio, yep. you know. I don't know why. For me, what, what was the song for you that like you would stay up? Like, remember when this thing called Dreamland would come on MTV, and it it would be oh, like midnight yeah. to three a.m. and it was just nothing but music videos. Yeah. So best. I would stay up because I chances were I could catch the Living on the Edge video. Right. What was what's something me, that you would like wait for? Um, maybe it was the or, or maybe it was just the radio. Well, I, I would listen to the radio every night before I went to bed. I often would get woken up by one of my parents in the morning to get ready for school. Sound asleep on the floor with my head against the speaker. Yeah, I always I did that. I, I did, did that, that all too. the time because I would turn it really, really quietly. And not wake that up is my so sisters. funny. I yeah. did the same thing. Why didn't we just use headphones? Why weren't we friends? Oh, you were in Alabama, I was in California. I That's did the why. same thing. I would, I would, I would have my boombox. Yeah, as low like on one, and I would fall asleep with my ear up. I on probably it. broke a set of headphones, and you know, or you're just a up. kid and you didn't have them. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, my dad was a hip dude, had vinyl and stuff, and <laughs> yeah. like. Surely he had a set. I could but use. maybe you didn't want to like fuck with his stuff or something. I don't know. Maybe I fucked with a lot of his stuff. What was your favorite music video? What were some of your favorite music videos Back when you were then, a kid? Not a teenager, like a kid. A kid, it was like Bon like, Jovi, like shit. Smooth like, Criminal or something would come on or Thriller. That was cool. Um, I loved the Billie Jean video because when the floor would light up, amazing. Um, I was a, I, I when I got into like the glam rock shit, which now it's just kind of silly to me. Yeah, you um, kind of went through like a poison thing, didn't you? Yeah, like before I got into like look what the catch actual <laughs> metal. Like I got into like because it was an you know I'm, I'm what four and a half years older than you, I think something like that. Yeah, yeah. So there was this that's a that's a good size gap when you're that age, sure. You know, and so I had just friends at school. They're like, oh hey, you should check out this cassette. This is Bon Jovi, and I was like, whoa, this is so cool. That was the, my first exposure to like what I thought was like heavy music. Bon Jovi is cool. Bon Jovi's yeah, good. I like Bon Jovi. Oh, they're good songwriters. Yeah, they're, they they shaked out like a band like Poison just simply didn't. Most of those bands were just like it's party music. Yeah, and it's really cartoonish too. So yeah. when you're a kid, you don't understand the sex of it. Mm-hmm. It just seems really cartoonish. Totally. So 
I could see why it would appeal to kids. It was colorful. It was bright. It was bombastic. Yeah. They're doing fucking cartwheels. And, and it was nice to look at pretty women, but I don't think you were... Uh, were you kind of understanding how sexually charged that music was? No, not really. I mean... When you saw the videos, you kind of like when you see like you know like the warrant cherry pie or something, and the girls getting hosed down, all that <laughs> bullshit, or Tony Katan on the hood of the car. I I knew that it was like I don't know if I should be watching this. Yeah, you know, but musically and lyrically, I didn't care. Right, it didn't affect me that way. I kind of like that. I like that about how when you're a kid, you, you're yeah. so much less judgmental about things. I will say, before I got into uh, into metal, uh, Guns N' Roses was a big one for me. <laughs> Get out of town. I mean, no shit. I was nine when Appetite came out. And I mean, that was the tape that I got from a friend and like had to sneak into my house and like listen to it at night. Um, it, it, it's easy to forget how much it felt like being hit by lightning to hear that record. I was I was in fourth grade mm-hmm. and I had the cassette and I I got it because of Paradise City. Right. Because I liked the line, take me down to the Paradise City where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Right. Which is not a line I would ever write. Yeah, but I loved it when I was a kid, sure. and it had nothing to do with sex. I just thought it was cool. It rhymed, and yeah. the grass is green, and the girls are pretty. Paradise City, and then you get that record, and you hear "Welcome to the Jungle" and "Night Train," and it's, yeah. and then you get the darker shit like "It's So, it's easy, so easy" and yeah. "My Michelle" and "Out to Get Me." It's like, oh my god, what an amazing, amazing. There's some record. lyrics on that record that could not be released today. Oh, dude! I, like on "It's So Easy," like "Turn Around, Bitch," I got a use for you. And besides, you got nothing better to do, and I'm bored. That's fucked up. Ooh, that's real messed up. <laughs> yeah there's an actual recording of axel rose having sex with steven adler's girlfriend on uh I think it's on my michelle right uh no that's rocket queen or rocket queen wake up late what is the line in night train uh, take your credit card to the liquor, liquor store. store that's one for you and two for me by tonight i'll be loaded like a freight train yeah god damn i mean it, it is a great record i have I have two versions on vinyl yeah the censored and uncensored cover well, Tangent City, this is a Metallica podcast. Yeah, no Sorry, Claire. I'm kind of uh, commandeering your email here. It's Claire's um, fault. I do blame our new patron, Claire. <laughs> she goes on to say, I loved hearing your interview with Edwin and have gone back to episode one and binge listened my way through to episode 48. Damn. Holy shit. Skipping forward to hear the Slain Castle episode, which was the best concert I've been to, and your SNM 2 cinema recap. I love the way you guys interview guests, asking all the right questions because you're huge fans, but then I also love the way you piss about... And when the show descends into crazy chaos, I'm 34, just started learning to play guitar, so I also find it interesting to hear you talk about songs from a musician's point of view. Keep being awesome. Sorry for the essay. Claire from South Wales, UK, New Jersey's. Well, that tangent we just went on, is that is a form of the crazy chaos. Yeah, that can definitely happen from time to time. Well, here's the deal. You and I are really close friends, mm-hmm. and we don't get to see each other as often as we'd like to, usually just when the podcast happens. Right. And so it's a fun excuse to just talk about Guns N' Roses with you. <laughs> exactly. We'll do that on our next Guns N' Roses podcast. Okay, cool. Uh, right, right, my turn. Uh, Jason Barrett. <laughs> beret. Beret, like the, like the cap. Uh, Jason Beret says... Uh, Are you wearing a beret right now? I'm not wearing a beret. What is that hat called? Uh, most people call these like newsy hats. <laughs> That's what I've heard them called. I don't know. I don't call it that. Or like a paper boy hat. I don't know. Newsies hats. Like a newsy hat. I don't know. Like the Christian Bale musical? I guess. Newsies? Okay. What's the difference between that and a beret? A beret's a little side. If a you ber- turn that sideways, that's a beret. No. It beret, is not. Wait, beret's what the guy from Rambo wore. Yeah, or like... like uh, Pepe Le Pew. Oh, uh, what's the... I'm trying to think of the wrestler. Uh, fucking... Holy shit. Look Sergeant up, Slaughter. Look it up on your phone. Yeah, I should. <laughs> <laughs> what works faster, my brain or my phone? Um, you know, berets are... Uh, I don't like... I won't wear a beret. It's, it's, it's not that different from that hat. It's not... You're incorrect, I think. 
Berets kind of just it's it just droops over on one side. Now these hats, I will say, <laughs> I'm wearing these things for like most of my life. These hats are only cool worn forward. Okay. The second you turn around, it's instantly a lame hat. Okay. Instantly. Not even Samuel Jackson pulls it off, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's what he's wearing a newsie, but backwards. Yeah. Like he'll wear like a Kangol hat. That's, that's like that's what, a brand. Kangol. Kangol is a brand. That's yeah. like what he wore in, uh, in uh, Jackie Brown. Right. Yeah. I just think these hats turned around are instantly lame. So this is right on. My opinion. I'm sticking to it. So this is a hat podcast now, apparently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Right on. Welcome to uh, Hats and Guns and Roses. <laughs> Chats about hats. You're at the right place. <laughs> now you can turn a Kindle around if you're Samuel Jackson, but you can't turn a Kindle, a, a Kingle, a Kangle, a Kangle around if you're Ethan Luck. Even though I've worn this most of my life. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, Jason's it's short and sweet. Says guest today is the eighth anniversary of Lulu. Uh, might this be the perfect time to take the plunge? I'd have to say I'll never be able to wrap my head around how James was convinced to take part in this project. Well, we do need to do our Lulu episode, and we will be doing it. And I thought a really cool thing to do when we finally do ramp ramp up to Lulu, yeah, is uh, wear berets, is to wear uh, Kingles backwards and uh, and to give away Lulu on vinyl. Fair. I'll say this: the album art is cool. Album art is very cool. I I think that Jason's question about why or whatever his point about uh, how James was convinced to take a part of it. I think this is one of those moments where he was trying to be a team player. And I think this might have been more of a Lars thing. Yeah. Lars is kind of the more artistic, avant-garde member of Metallica. Right. He's the one who collects weird art and and you know is into all sorts of weird shit. He's a Neapolitan world traveler, even when he was a kid. Right. This seems to me like a Lars thing. Yeah, and they also had a, had a, a, a giant respect for, for Lou, Lou Reed. Reed. And, and who like, doesn't? I mean, he sure. Say no. And I will say, speaking of tangents. Um, I've gone back and listened to like early Lou Reed stuff in Velvet Underground, and I like it less and less. Yeah, it's it hits you at a. I agree. I feel the same way. It hits you at a certain time where that music is so insane in a mm-hmm. good way. It's so its own thing, right? And it's so out that when you're a kid and you're hungry for that shit, it, you feel like you're a part of a special club because mm-hmm. you kind of get it, right? That's how I felt when I when I first got in, and it was older kids that were like hipping me to Velvet Underground, yeah. And it stuck in me because it, I felt like I understood something that most people didn't. Mm-hmm. Not in an elitist way, but like I just felt like I had a treasure. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, yeah, we're, we're older and our tastes are becoming a little more refined. And the rawness and the outness of that is less, it speaks to me less. Yeah. Is it, that what you're saying? Yeah, basically. Yeah. I, it just, it, I don't know. I just can't really jive with it. Well, the recordings aren't great. Yeah. So as you and I have come up through the music a industry. Lot of it's his voice, too. I just, like, I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't like this. Like when I was, when I was like, when I first heard it, like in I probably high school, a little bit later, I was like, "This is cool and like weird and different." Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just if I revisit it, I'm like, oh, I don't think about any of that. No, on, it's on true. Vinyl. It's hard to listen to. I find some Tom Waits shit hard to listen to, even though I really love him. Now, some of his once he kind of got into the '80s and '90s, it was a lot of like circusy music and weird, not bone machine shit. And- yeah, and like a lot of spoken word stuff and like. Um, I mean, I'm a huge Tom Waits fan, and I, I love his early stuff. I mean, The Heart of Saturday Night. Yeah, the 70s Closing shit. Time yeah. is so good. Yeah. But, like, man, Heart Attack and Vine's pretty cool, but there's some weird stuff but there, on there. But there are people's voices that I did not like as a kid because they were rough or whatever that mm-hmm. I now love. Like, Bob Dylan, I never liked as a kid. I never right. got it. I never really understood why people liked it. And now, I can't get enough of Dylan. Yeah. I'm just so... You know what really has ignited my love for him again is that Rolling Thunder review documentary. 
I still have yet to watch that. It's Martin Scorsese. It's worth seeing. It's that. on my list. That's yeah. what see that picture right there of him in the bu- Kabuki makeup. Oh yeah, yeah. That's from the Rolling Thunder review. Oh rad, awesome. Um, it's really worth checking out. Cool. And it's around a record called Desire that he put out. It's mid seventies, Dylan. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's dope. Yeah. Uh, so uh, someone else I didn't really like when I was a kid that I love now is Neil Young. Yeah. It, it, there are certain voices that aren't traditionally good voices right that as you get older it's like a, it's like a wine a wine taste of like an acquired thing yeah but someone like velvet underground lou reed i've i've i like less mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I even say like sex pistols are like that too yeah I, I i mean i i own you know god save the queen but like uh i don't know it's just yeah i'm with you i mean i'd rather listen to the clash of the ramones our next email is from Helle marie marie Sorry, this this person's from Norway, so I may be saying that name wrong. Hello from Norway. I'm diving deeper and deeper into your podcast. Wait, is it my turn to read? It yes, is, isn't yes. it? I love it so much. Started with the latest episode in the beginning of October, the first one about James's relapse, and then tried to go for the ones on the different albums. After that, I dove into the ones about the members, and the recent strategy has been to listen to all things S&M. Now I'm regretting the strategy as this has all become a mess. Yeah, <laughs> even, even trying to get through that mentally while reading this was like, oh, wait. Yeah, you're jumping all around. Uh, I'm doing a good job advertising for the podcast, actually. A couple of my friends have checked it out, and my husband, too. Last week, the advertising got a little out of hand, though. I teach at a Norwegian high school, and during a Norwegian class, I had the HDMI cable attached to the computer as we were to watch an interview. Just as I was about to start it, somehow Spotify had emerged on my screen. My brain just died or something, and I hit the play button. Through the whole classroom and beyond, I guess, rang Lars's voice, what really gets my dick hard is. (laughs) Let's just say I had to postpone the whole interview we were going to watch in order to explain what they had just heard. Who knows? Maybe some ended up checking it out. Cheers and love from Norway. <laughs> well, wow. We I we've changed that intro. We've updated that, after. and I think uh, that was a good move. We probably should have thought more. We should have taken a little more responsibility sooner. It was just at the time of the incarnation of this podcast. It was just funny. It's still funny, but to think that that that's happened several times. We've heard many stories like that. Yeah, someone at work, someone with their kids in the car, whatever it is. You know, yeah. My, well, the one we have now is just it's just it was better. It's better fitting for the show too, for sure. You know, so but I do love in her email how she says she teaches at a Norwegian high school and during a Norwegian class. Yeah, I, I just assumed you called them high schools. <laughs> well, we, I, we know you're from Norway. Maybe it's like a Canadian bacon thing. Maybe it's a bunch of English students learning Norwegian. That's why it's a Norwegian class. Okay. Well, I don't know. Let's look it up on your phone. Maybe they're just learning how to play Norwegian wood by the Beatles. <laughs> I once had a girl. Oh, should I say? HDMI. <laughs> okay, cool. One more email and then All we're right, out of here. <laughs> Finally. Uh, Chad Walswick says, hey, brothers. Hey, brothers. Uh, I keep listening and loving the show. Keep it up. Thanks for the shout outs uh, for the Fargo, the Bell Tolls chapter and taking the time to read my emails. You had mentioned that you had maybe met some of us at your pre-party. You had many members from all, all over with black tickets. Rob, a.k.a. Metal Jesus from Illinois, took to wearing our flag as a cape for the tour. I've seen that. Picture of that. Uh, I know he had some others that were at uh, your shindig. Yeah, they were at our party. Metal Jesus was? Yes, the guy wearing the cape. Oh, that, oh wait. Is that the dude we were calling Mini Dimebag? Yeah, Little Dimebag. Little Dimebag, yeah. Um, I just got chapter picks done. I like to throw some... Uh, and a chapter shirt your way as a prize slash giveaway in your next million up your podcast contest. Yeah. Chad. Thanks, Chad. Yeah, thanks, Chad. That's awesome. So for any of you chapter heads out there that like the show, if you want to send us um and we can work it out and figure it out and maybe pay for the shipping, or we you know, we can even pay for the shirts if that helps the chapter. Yeah. But we'd love to get the chapter shirts or any of the chapter swag you guys have and give them away as gifts or yeah. or put them up in HQ one and two or right. whatever. You know, like any anything anyone wants to donate to the show or anything like that is super cool with us. You know, Absolutely. we're really open to all that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will finally an hour into this episode, just about <laughs> wow, end the email corner. 
everyone, this is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month, or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free downloads of every cover Our World Blackened EP. Ticket giveaways for shows like SNM2 and Slain Castle. Box sets, rare vinyl, Metallica memorabilia like SNM2 guitar picks. Email priority, meaning we'll read your email first on the show with a chance to ask guests like Hailstorm, Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, and Metallica Row Crew your very own questions. And the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our Metal Tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. All right, now before we dive into 1999, the boys had another busy year, of course, as I said at the beginning of the show, this would mark kind of the last year of just them just crushing it, just, you know, like, just with branding, with being, you know, present in MTV culture, winning awards, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but so I wanted to quickly revisit kind of what went down in 98. If we all remember, we just did the reload rehearse request gig, which they did in March. Uh, they toured the poor retouring me, which they Mm -hmm. toured the whole world. It was a crazy long tour. They, uh, they made garage ink. Yeah. As soon as I got off the road, like the day after they went back in the studio for two weeks, made that record. They're still shooting music videos and releasing singles for reload. Yeah. They did fuel. Now they're starting to do uh, singles for Garage Inc. They put out Cunning Stunts. So, busy year for them. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> and this kind of just rolls together, you know? Like, they. It makes me wonder. I would love to get Peter Minch or Cliff Bernstein on the show to just talk about how once Black Album happened, obviously a lot going on before that in terms of promotion and, and looking into the future, but once Black Album happened, those dudes, I, I bet you, set in motion a five to 10 year plan. Absolutely. I mean, from the release of the Black Album till the end of this decade, I mean, there, there it was nonstop for, yeah. I mean, even recording, if you go back to the entire decade of recording uh, the Black Album, I mean, this is 10 solid years of yeah. stuff. I did, mean, and did, it's like, did they know that this might be a unique 10 years and they should just crush? Um, you know, I could see any other band making an album as big as the Black Album and then touring it for three years, taking a two-year break. Yeah, for sure. Instead, they made a double album. Yeah. And then toured all of that. And then instead of not taking a break after that, they made a covers album and then toured all of that. Then in this year, they, you know, recorded with an orchestra. Yeah. And they're touring the whole time. Yeah. So I'm curious if it was just like, it was all out ahead of them or if they were just trying to hang on. Probably trying to hang on, just keep riding. I mean, keep but riding not, that not, way. But not not the boys. But I'm talking about like management. Oh, them? Like, so yeah. they're so you got Cliff Bernstein and Peter Minch sitting in an office all day while Metallica's out crushing on the you know wherever we may roam tour. Those dudes are smart. They're thinking how what are we you know like what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. How are we going to make sure? Because they're putting out documentaries a year and a half in the life. Right. They're putting out cunning stunts. I mean, all this shit. Yeah. So I mean, crazy. It, it's insane. It would be interesting to talk to one of those two dudes or both of them. Uh, and even just the communication between you know Hetfield, Ulrich, and them them two, 
with ideas. And it's like, they might be on the road on the phone talking to Lars, like, and Lars is like, hey, like, we had this idea to play with an orchestra. Look into it. Well, I know that that idea came from Cayman. And, uh, you know, around the time that he was uh, composing for Nothing Else Matters. And I I think he had the idea, and they didn't, they just, it just took him seven years to revisit it. Yeah. Because they were fucking busy. (laughs) You know? And I think they just kind of came around to it real quick, like, hey, we should do that. And they're like, oh shit. Then the ball gets running for that. It's crazy what a different album it would be if they did it in the Black Album era. There'd be nothing from Load and Reload. There'd be no, uh, um, no Leaf Clover. Yep. No Minus minus Human. Minus Human. Yeah. I've been toying with that song, trying to work it out for cover album. Oh, Black. nice! It's it's a funky song, man. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's it's deceivingly weird. Yeah, and uh, it's super short. Mm-hmm. It might be one of their shortest songs. It's like two and a half minutes long. Yeah, shortest song <laughs> pulled for you. Well, so let's jump in without further ado into 1999. Of course, a lot happened, and this these will be like little springboards to talk about a lot of stuff. I painstakingly went through and did a lot of research so we could. Have a lot of stuff here, so appreciate you. February, February one, the Whiskey in the Jar singles released in three different CD formats, included live covers recorded during the Garage Barrage mini tour, which we talked about in our last uh, Year in the Life episode. Mm-hmm. And then some had that twenty-five minute Garage Days EPK that's you can see on YouTube. Right. I, I love watching this. You ever seen this? Oh yeah, I love that. This all these little tiny things that weren't official releases per se. Or they pop up on YouTube over the years. I love watching. We need to do an episode on this little uh, EPK, which, by the way, stands for Electronic Press Kit. Yeah. It's like a you know a lot of bands and artists have e- quote unquote EPKs to show yeah. people if they're trying to book a tour, or right. Get a record deal or whatever. But it, it's cool because uh, it's it's very laid back. This is them talking about the songs they chose, footage of them in the studio. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, they made this record super quick. Yeah, two weeks. Yep. I mean that's that's and I guess the impetus obviously being Garage Days. Uh, which they made in however many six days. Yeah, exactly. The vibe was probably similar, mm-hmm. even though this record, with the help of Bob Rock, is way more polished. Way more, yeah. Garage Inc. Disc One is one of their most polished records. It's super clean. I love it. I love it too. It's a it's a great collection of cover songs, and because of Bob Rock, I mean, sonically sounds so good. So uh, it reached number twenty nine in Britain and would go on. Speaking of whiskey in the jar, to win a Grammy in two thousand. It would be their second Grammy for a cover song, which yes. is interesting. That is crazy. And then, of course, Lemmy won a Grammy for covering Whiplash. Oh, yeah. Isn't that weird? That's crazy. It's weird to win a Grammy for a cover song. <clears throat> yeah, it is. Maybe they can cover one of our songs next. Yeah, and... finally, win another Grammy. February 24th, same month, Metallica wins their fourth Grammy in Best Metal Performance category for Better Than You. There it is. to play it not zero times at all it's such a fascinating thing that so like i mean let's just try to unpack what's going on here is that a case of the grammy board is that a case of some sort of political nepotism where someone high up in that was like look metallica is my favorite band they put out a record this year let's let's like how did that song win a grammy was it, it a single at the time it was a 
Not at, the, not at the time, but it was a single. It was a single at the time. It's, it, it, I mean, even back to that, it's already crazy that they won't play that song. I, that's their single. What's I do remember in Birmingham the the rock station that played all the Metallica stuff. Yeah, that just played everything great that was rock and roll. They I remember hearing better than you on the radio all the time. Yeah, they, so they, it went to radio, but they never played it live. They've never even said, I've never even seen them fucking say anything about it's it. It's so weird. I, I I like that song. I absolutely love it. I don't think it deserves to win a Grammy. I think that The Unforgiven 2 should have won a Grammy. I think it deserves to be played live every once in a while. Absolutely, it does. Um, but nevertheless, they won it, and I'm proud that it's one of their, what, eight Grammys? Heck yeah. Uh, their previous ones were for the song One, Stone Cold Crazy, and then they won a Grammy for the Black Album. Fuel, also nominated, but in the Best Hard Rock Performance category. Mm. So it's interesting to be... It's, that, that's how interesting those records were. They won the Grammy for Best Metal Performance, but they're nominated for one of their other singles for Best Hard Rock yeah. Performance. It's so weird. The other nominations were Psycho Circus by Kiss, The Dope Show by Marilyn Manson, Do the Evolution by Pearl Jam, and the winner of the Grammy, which was Most High by Page and Plant. Yeah. Those are all great songs, man. I mean, The Dope Show, Mechanical Animals is my favorite Marilyn Manson record, and The Dope Show is easily one of the, That's the a better cool songs. Tune, for sure. And then Psycho Circus by Kiss, No Thanks. Huge Kiss fan. No thanks. Do the evolution. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, by the way, did you see that Kiss is still doing a... I thought they fin- were done. I thought they did a final tour. Well, they're doing the Elton John like farewell tour, but it's three years long. Yeah. They, but they announced their final date. Their final I date... I did see that in New York. Their final date is next July. Yeah. 2020. So, we'll, you know, we'll see. But, but Elton John's doing it. They're just... Slayer's doing it. Right. It's like a three... It, it's our farewell tour. That goes on forever. When we hear tour... We think six months. Right. If six months would actually be a long tour. Yeah, very long tour. Um, if it's going to be a world tour, okay, one year. That's, yeah. what, that's what I think. But guys like, guys like Elton John or bands like Kiss, it's like they're not grinding it out like, oh, we're going to be gone for 10 weeks straight. Like they're probably, you know, Elton John's probably doing like maybe no more than two shows in a row. If that, it's, it's taking def- breaks. Absolutely. It's definitely the pacing of the show, but I think even more than the pacing of the show, it's business. It's, it's how can we make the most money mm-hmm. on the heels of it being farewell. Right. It's like, well, make it last a long time. Well, like, and then I always laugh when bands, I mean, bands, sure, they, it's their choice to get back together if they break up, but when it happens real quick after a farewell, like Molly Crew did their farewell tour, right? Mm-hmm. Had their final show, and then like not that much time went by, and they announced like, some more shows like look, maybe a cruise you know it's like well kiss has done the same thing they yeah. did they did a farewell tour in the early aughts yeah whatever i mean who cares it's their band <laughs> you get excited again and maybe you want to get creative and make a record they you know they did a farewell tour but then they made a record called sonic boom because i they're great songwriters and they had something to say and i think they made a record and we're like fuck man it'd be fun to go out and play this shit yeah so that's fine when it seems like a cash grab that's when it starts to feel like like, I've kind of got to the point where I'm like, I don't think I'm going to give Kiss any more of my money. Well, I mean, as cool as Kiss is, the whole band, that's they are a cash grab. They have always been. Yeah. With merchandising, all that stuff. I mean, it's like there's Kiss everything. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. But I mean cash grab and like, you know, repackaging shit over and over. Yeah. Dubiously lying to fans about what it is. You know, like right. that's not cool to me. Right. You know, don't call it a farewell tour if you don't plan on being done. Yeah, exactly. If you plan on being done and then you change your mind, that's different. But I feel like you can kind of read between the lines. Mm -hmm. You know, um, March 7th, moving into March, Metallica was inducted into the San Francisco Walk of Fame. The mayor at the time, Willie Brown, proclaims the day official Metallica Day. Official. Which, that's nice. 
Yeah, that's cool. I don't know what it means. What does it mean? There's a holiday for everything now. I know. It's and like... It's, it's National, you know, Microphone Day. It's National Sandwich Day. Yeah. It's National... Yeah. I don't know who decides these things. Can we have can we have National Mel Podcast Day? I mean, you want to go ahead and decide that? Let's just do it. Is, is today it? Or, or should it be January 1st since that's the anniversary and then we'll... And New Year's Day can fuck off. We hereby decree, yes, January 1st will henceforth be... Metal up your podcast day, yes. Indeed. Indeed it will. I love when you insert a little, yes. Yes, it will, yes. I just love those dudes. They're always stroking a long beard. Yeah. Hmm, bye-bye at my time. Pleases me. Please. Have National Metal <laughs> Podcast Day, yes. Okay, March 13th, Lars earns a Bammy for Outstanding Drummer, and Reload earns a Bammy for Outstanding Rock Album of the Year, which was a Bay Area, stands for Best Advocate Marketing Award. Now, if you're, wonder- very if you're wondering, like me, what that means, I don't know. It sounds like an, an, like an award ceremony for, for, the, for the law firm you work for or something. I had a hard time finding info on the Bammies, but it was apparently, it's apparently like, as far as local stuff goes, which, you know, Metallica is a very proud local band. They're yeah. very proud to be from the Bay Area, and uh, I think for them it was a big deal at the time. I would think that Bammy would be like, the first two letters would be Bay Area something. Bay Area Music something. Best Advocate Marketing Awards. That makes sense. <laughs> Brought to you by Enron. It's like by so corporate. <laughs> March 16th, a few days later, Metallica's awarded the Diamond Award uh, from the, what is the RAIAA? The Recording uh, Recording Institute. Institute of Aardvark Admissions. <laughs> I think it's uh, Antelope Admissions. Okay, the Antelope Admissions. Basically, the Black Album went diamond, which means it sold 10 million That's albums. Insane. So, And on that same day, Whiskey in the Jar music video premieres, uh, which was also directed by Jonas Ockerland, who did Turn the Page. Both videos have both a censored and uncensored version. Yes, Turn the Page one's crazy. Yeah, the Turn the Page video I did not like because it made me sad. Yeah. Obviously, it's a sad video. The Whiskey in the Jar video, however, made me happy because it's filled with a bunch of chicks partying. Yeah. And uh, let's just say when I was, you know, 14 years old, that was an exciting thing for me. Yeah, for sure. And it's cool, man. Like, Kirk's smoking a cigar. They're, like, all in that living room. Jane's playing that white, uh, or not the white, but the uh, the green uh, flame. Oh, the green flame, the yeah. I just, it's a fun video. Yeah, it's it's awesome. just a party video. And, yeah. You know, unlike a poison party video. but. Well, yeah, no one's no one's like shooting whipped cream on a car, <laughs> and licking yeah oil off a thing. Uh, I do like that when you can hear the music that the party's playing on the inside. It's bread fan. Yeah, pretty cool. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Okay, and imagine how good it must feel too. Like, oh, hey, by the way, boys, you won a here's a certificate. Uh, your album that you made has sold 10 million units. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, imagine finding that out. I mean, I'm sure they're they're hip to keeping track of numbers as it was selling. Like, hey, guys, by the way, we passed 9.5 million or whatever. I bet you, I mean, Lars is the kind of guy who's probably on the phone from wherever they're touring in the world with Peter Minch every mm-hmm. couple of days saying, what are the numbers? Of course, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, i got to be honest, I, I, think I, I think I straddle the line because I look at our numbers every day for the podcast, but mm-hmm. not as an ego thing, just because I'm extremely curious. Well, first of all, making sure that these people that we pay to host our shit are getting it right. Right. Because these fucks They've gotten it wrong. keep dropping the ball. Uh, but secondly, I'm curious what works, what doesn't work. Um, I'm curious to see when people listen, how long they listen for, in, in terms of like wanting to understand what works about the show and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a part of me that 
trust the content and can't get too wrapped up in it. Like I see yeah. both sides of it. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, there's 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 helpful things about studying the uh, analytics of, of, of a podcast or you, maybe your Instagram account is a business account, things like that, just mm-hmm. to know maybe uh, you want to post at a different time because that's when your people are most listening or paying attention the most. It, it, it's helpful information for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, but you fall probably, are you, you're more, like if we were both in a band together that was really successful, would you be more of a Lars type that was wanting to know stats a lot? Like, you know, like, what were the final numbers last night at the gig? Was it fully sold out? Or, or are you more of a uh, looked great? There were a lot of people there. Let's roll on to the next city. I'm kind of in between. I think I like I like to know the information, but I also, but I also like to keep moving forward. And yeah, you know, I hear that. Okay, April 11th, 12th, and 14th, Metallica played two nights in Honolulu and then one in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, the Outlaw Torn has debuted uh, night two of Honolulu. They also did a third encore where they played Battery. Awesome. Like the shows just must have been really wild. Oh yeah, uh, they played the same set in Anchorage, so that's cool. They're, so they're, you know, what I imagine with the Outlaw Torn debut is that they're getting ready for the S and M gigs, right? Yeah, which the the Outlaw Torn would obviously go on to be a huge highlight of those gigs. Hundred percent, man. Of course, the next thing is they come back to the states, April eighteenth through twentieth, rehearsals for the San Francisco Symphony with Michael Kamen for S and M. Which we've seen the documentary, which we need to do an episode on that too. Yeah. Super fun, kind of seeing it all come together. It does seem like at the time, it, there was a little less pressure on the gig. Yeah. The way it, they even spoke about it in the press, they're like, yeah, we're doing the symphony thing. and It wasn't in the rounds, they didn't have any of those challenges, it was all just on a normal stage. Yeah. And it was in a much smaller place. Yep. So April 21st and 22nd, of course, the S&M gigs, we've done episodes on that. Mm-hmm. We've gone into depth on that. Yeah, I mean... We still need to watch the concert film together. Yes. We haven't done that yet. Big bowl of popcorn. I haven't seen it in maybe 10 years. Have you seen... I mean, other than like watching a clip um, here and there, when was the last time you watched s and It's been a while. It's probably been a while. I've, I've, I've listened to it way more than I've watched it. I listen to S&M once every couple of weeks. But when was the last time you yeah, watched... I don't know. I, I mean, I, don't know when. I must have watched it a hundred times in my life. Yeah, I mean, I had the VHS at one point. Me too. I did too. I still had that. I remember my friends had the DVD, and I was jealous. Yeah, because all I had was the, it was a double VHS. Yep, totally was. Um, April thirtieth, moving right along, they play Mexico City, and dude, they were on the bill with Pantera. Pantera basically, it's not quite an opener, and it's also not quite a co-headline, but Pantera's on the bill, right? And uh, during Creeping Death, Phil and Selma comes out and sings the last chorus. I have awesome. a little clip of that here that we can listen to. If you want to. I'd love to, man. Well, I reckon I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear that, man. Tell well, you I heard Phil and Selma came out to the Red Terror, and they did all the words of the chorus. And so they had to come up there after the die chant, and they did a big death. <laughs> Papa, do you smell burnt toast right now? Do you have a stroke? Well, I don't reckon I had a stroke down, but my mouth don't work so good on the count of all the chewing tobacco that they put it all of it. I reckon the left side of my jaw is about to fall out of my face. Oh, you poor thing. Okay, so this is after the die chant. Here we go. Let's let's hear what this sounds like. Really good sound quality. Great. That's a, it's, 
I think there was an audio issue. Like it, it skipped, I think, uh, it skipped well, it, the last line of the course. It sounds yeah. like uh, someone just recorded that from the crowd because you hear like people talking. Or you something. don't say. That's what I'm just. I listen. That's what you I'm know what? picking I don't, up on. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school now, but I don't reckon that's a soundboard recording. I don't think that there is uh, something from the audio engineers. <laughs> I don't think Bob Rock mixed that. That one. <laughs> that one wasn't mixed by Bob Rock. I don't think Bobby Rock came in and mixed it. When one. you can hear Phil somewhat audibly for a second, it sounds pretty bitching. That was an era of Pantera too, where he was still pretty on fire. Oh, dude, 1999, like, they were about to put out Reinventing the Steel. Yeah. Reinventing the Steel is my second favorite Pantera so record. Good. Uh, he, it, it sucks. I mean, that whole, the story of that band is so sad. Yeah. Because, and which, by the way, Reinventing the Steel won a Grammy. Yeah. And What's your favorite Pantera record? Cowboys from Hell? No, no, Vulgar Display. Okay. Yeah, I'm, God, I'm I didn't even think about Cowboys. That might be my second. Cowboys from Hell is pretty awesome too. Well, that's just a record that, whatever, we can't go into it, but at the time in my life, I mean, that record came out in 89, so this was like 91 where I got hip to it. I mean, I was just going to bed listening to it every night. It was like my best friend, mm -hmm. that record. Yeah. I would usually fall asleep by this fourth track, Cemetery Gates, or maybe the one after that, Heresy. Yeah. But I would always get through the first, you know, Primal Concrete, Crete Sledge. Yes. Oh my God. There's something good. The song that. Cowboys from Hell. Yep. We're taking, over, we're taking over this town. I just, I'll never forget how scary it was. Like he would do that, Cowboys from Hell. He would, he would kind of do the '80s screamy thing because that's what they were before but, Cowboys from Hell. But then, yeah, like the metal magic shit. But then when he would like do the talking parts of Cemetery Gate, oh, Reverend, yeah. yep. was it some conspiracy? His voice was so low and scary. Yeah, he had such a cool range. He really did have a cool range. Yeah, his voice isn't anywhere close to what it used to be, but. And even lyrically, they they had a depth to them lyrically that really stood them out. Mm -hmm. it, I would wager, I would I would uh, take the Pepsi challenge with anybody about metal, at least popular metal. And then of course, you know, Dime, right? Dimebag Daryl is my favorite metal guitar player. I mean, he's absolute magic. Everything he played, his riffs. I mean, you would watch live footage of them. I encourage you to watch. I think it's from two thousand Ozfest. I've seen it. I've seen that, dude. I mean, and he's probably drunk as shit. Drunk as shit, and still just outplaying anybody on that stage there are surprisingly very few videos of the reinventing the steel era live it was their last tour right so anything 2000 or 2001 in that era i have googled and mm -hmm. watched yeah. because I it's when phil grew his hair back out yeah so phil had long hair again what's your favorite pantera record a uh, vulgar display i mean dude because that's the, that's the one i kind of came online a with. new level walk like the, fucking the, hostile fucking hostile i mean it's, it's that record's so good nuts. Uh, in my, I think it's my freshman yearbook. There's a picture of me in there, and I'm wearing a Volta's Player Power T-shirt. Awesome, yeah. What a cool band! And, and you know, I think there was some kind of beef in the '90s between these two bands in the mid '90s. Yeah, where they were being, you know, because Pantera stayed heavy. Pantera right. actually got heavier. They got heavier because because yeah. Further Beyond Driven is so fucking heavy. Oh my dude. god, it totally is. Uh, I never really got into the Great Southern Trend Kill. I, I need to check that record out, but. I think there was some criticism leveled at the boys from the Pantera camp oh, yeah. when they sort of went Bob Rock, you know? Right, yeah. Or especially during Load Reload, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, there were there were some press jabs, yeah. for sure. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, it's hard to say. I was going to say, to me, this is just for me, Load and Reload stand above their mid-'90s records, mm -hmm. but I've never really gotten into the Great Southern Trend Kill. It's a cool record, yeah. You, you've checked it out? You're mm -hmm. into it? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a Pantera record. I, I mean, love their live record, The 100 Proof. Yeah, live. I forgot about that one. Really good. That's a good live record. I've been digging live records more and more. I mean, I've always enjoyed them, 
But lately, if I'm out on the road, you know, at a record store and I see a live, whatever, like like the Bob Marley live one, you have one just called Live. Mm-hmm. I've got that one too. I have another one called Babylon by Bus. And mm. it's just fun to listen to live records kind of cranked. You feel like you're there, you know? I agree with you. I I mean, other than Kiss Alive, I can't think of too many that I love. S&M and Kiss Alive would be the two. But like for reggae, like I have this King Tubby record yeah. that's live. Oh, cool. a, a lot of King Tubby shit is just live bootlegs. Yeah. Uh, I have some Peter Tosh live stuff, and then of course that bot. Like for some reason, for me, reggae, yeah, is the jam, yeah, live. I don't know why. I, I don't know. I mean, that style of music. I mean, it's like an experience. You know, it's it's it, it, it yeah, puts those, you in a good zone. Those records were kind of less about like overdubbing in the studio, and those records I, I were like overdub anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the records were live anyway. So like hearing the people and hearing it be kinetic in that yeah in that environment. I love when they're mixed just right, where you can hear the audience singing too. Yeah. The, the Babylon by what someone I was listening to this morning is like that. I need to check that out. It's cool. If you find if you can't find it, uh, I'll let you borrow my copy. Okay. Cool, bro. Yeah, man. Um, okay, so that was Phil and Selmo. What a bill. What a bill to see Pantera Metallica. My gosh, that would be insane. Okay, moving right along here. May 2nd through July 20th, the garage remains the same. European <laughs> dates with Monster Magnet, which of course is a play on the song Remains the Same. The garage remains the same. That's a, that's a good clever title. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. They always had funny tour titles. Well, oh, yeah. I don't think Poor Touring Me and Poor Retouring Me were very good, but I did like the Wherever I May Roam tour, yeah. Nowhere Left to Roam, mm-hmm. The Shit It's the Sheds. Yes. I love those. Uh, yeah, those are great names. Well, that's fun. Um, other support acts on this European Garage Remains the Same, which, by the way, Monster Magnet at that time was huge. They had that huge song, Space Lord. Oh, yeah. Which is, uh, have you ever dipped into Monster Magnet? At one point, yeah. It's pretty good. I, I think I owned that record. It's uh, it's really far out. They have, yeah. a re- they have an EP called Spine of God that, that's really far out. Yeah. They never really quite broke through, but like they would tour with Manson in this yeah. time, and Manson was a huge fan. He'd come out and sing Spine of God with oh, them. Oh, cool. It's like really deep, weird stoner rock. Yeah. With really, really crazy lyrics. I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll have to dip back into them. It, it's cool. Like Space Lord is super fun, dude. Yeah, awesome. Uh... When I don't get my bath, I take it out on the slaves. Is one of the lines. <laughs> Do you remember that song, right? Oh, space low, mother, mother. It had the like radio edit. Probably. Twiggy Ramirez was in the video. Okay, I'll, I'll have to dip back in and, and check it out again. All right, all right. You don't remember it. That's fine. Other. <laughs> I don't. That's okay. I remember the band for sure. I could even picture like didn't the dude have like black hair, uh, like with a, you really narrowed it down. You really narrowed it down with like. The same color black beard, where it looked almost like it was all dyed. Am I thinking of the right band? You are. You are. We're going to just do this together right now. Okay. Because we have it up here. I'm sure our listeners would like to hear it. Listen to how fucking cool and weird Probably this song is. There oh. it is. Adventure you're into. I'm not into that adventure. <sighs> Damn. I hate that ad culture. Here we I'm go. Happy. All right. Here we go. Check this out. These dudes are so cool, man. Not cool enough to put an acoustic guitar in your video? He's wearing the biggest medallion ever. Here's the bath line. Look at that medallion he's wearing. Like he's entering Flavor Flav world. Could they really not have gotten an acoustic guitar for this video? Well, it's about to start rocking. 
<laughs> I don't remember this. You don't? Wait for the wait for the big chorus. Kind of got a Unforgiven video vibe. A little bit, yeah. That backlit. Look at the naked old guy. Yeah, there's a naked old guy. <laughs> Licking your wounds. That's actually the same guy from the Unforgiven. He's older. That's all he does. That's kind of, He's been typecast. This takes a while to get to the chorus. Well, you know what else takes a while to get to the chorus? Tiny Dancer. Just enjoy it. This was a huge hit, dude. All right, you ready? Now I'm kind of remembering this. The video, at least. Anyway, there we go. I, uh... Monster Magnet. I don't. I, I remember once the video went to like the Las Vegas thing with the fireworks and stuff. That looks very familiar, but I don't really remember that song. Wow! And I got to be honest, I didn't really like it. Okay. I liked the, when it got big, but the intro it just took forever. What are you, a fucking American Idol kid now? That took too long. Oh, I'm, I mean, you gotta let stuff marinate, I, man. I, I, listen, <clears throat> I like marination. Okay, <laughs> I do, dude. Marination Nation. Marination Nation, man. That's my next podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's it's unimportant. Let's talk about my talent. I'm gonna make you a I'm gonna make you a monster magnet playlist. Will you make me a, a mixtape? A, li- a literal mixtape? But the only thing is, all the songs have to be super long and take a really long time to get to the chorus. That's, so that's fine. I'm not saying I, I, I dislike songs that take a while to get to the chorus. I love Tiny Dancer. <laughs> okay, I mean, dude, Tiny Dancer, the hold me closer, time. Yeah, it doesn't do that for like three minutes. Yeah, that's but it's such that a good song. It's one of like, the best songs in the whole world. You, there's songs that are so well written that you it. it, it you Dude, don't care that the chorus doesn't come for three minutes. Check this out. So I I kind of broke down and looked at a set list for this Elton John farewell tour. Yeah. Guess what he opens with? Tiny Dancer. No. Benny and the Jets. Oh, shit. Think about a think about a 90-minute show where all of your songs are so good that you can open with Benny and the Jets. I mean, when I saw Hall Notes, they opened with Maneater. Hell yeah. You know, like, they're just so, they have so many hits under their belt. By the way, all you metal freaks out there... You got to get hip to Hall & Oates, man. Oh, Hall and Oates, you kidding me? Hall & Oates, I know it seems like light adult rock that's like cheesier or, or shitty or whatever. The songwriting, man. Hall & Oates is some of the baddest shit in the world, man. Watch some live stuff on, on uh, YouTube, man. Those motherfuckers. Those dudes are so fucking good. Okay, the other uh, support acts, I thought this was interesting on that European Garage Remains the same tour. Sepultura, which that would be a fun bill. Awesome. And a fun shirt to have. Marilyn Manson. And Merciful Fate and Apocalyptica, which once again, RIP to Merciful Fate's bass player, Timmy yeah. Hansen. Uh, and also on this tour, which we mentioned in the last episode, it, on July 5th in Dublin was where Eric Bell guested with Metallica, uh, who would of course later go on to call them greedy bastards for not giving him 2,000 shillings. 2,000 pounds that he never talked to anybody about. 2,000 pounds that he just in his head thought would be appropriate, and then he just thought would... Through what? Through ESP or osmosis materialize from right. a Metallica accountant? Yeah. Oh my God, what an idiot. July 14th, the Die, Die, My Darling singles released with the classic Metallicats on the cover. Yeah, the Metallicats. Which I always liked that. I know, I thought that was cool. July 15th, the day after that, Metallica wins the California Music Award for Outstanding Rock Album, Reload. And Lars Ulrich wins once again for Outstanding Drummer. So eat your heart out. Boom. 
drummers yeah who say Lars isn't any good you think if you be you think if he weren't any good he'd be willing a California music award or a Bammy a Bammy are you kidding me best advocate marketing for aardvark saturation <laughs> July 24th Metallica headlines the east stage of Woodstock 99 now check out the lineup this is great here's the lineup for this just this one day I, I love these little like cultural like hinge posts for or lynch posts for like what was happening at the time what you can huge. tell by the lineup so yeah. check this out uh, that the tragically hip Kid Rock, Wyclef Jean, Counting Crows, Ray, <laughs> Dave Matthews Band, Alanis Morissette, Limp Bizkit, Rage Against the Machine, and Metallica. That's fucking crazy. That's just one day. Just to see Rage and Metallica on the same. Holy bill. shit! It's crazy. Uh, here's Metallica's set list. Which, by the way, this you could find this whole show on YouTube. Yeah. One of the coolest shows. They're at the height of their powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what? Puppets. The short version of Puppets, which is always perplexing for us Metallica fans. Bells, Fuel, King Nothing, Bleeding Me, Highlight Performance, in my opinion, Sabbath True, Turn the Page, Rome, One, Fight Fire, Nothing Else Matters, Seek, Creep, Die, Die, My Darling, preceded by The Fixer Jam, Oh yeah, and Inner Sandman. Really cool performance. August 11th, Bob Rock arrives at the plant in Sausalito, where Load and Reload were recorded, yeah. to begin production on S&M, which, you know, Greg Fiddleman this time around had the precedent of S&M to... He could either. He, I bet. I bet he called Bob Rock on the phone, like, "Hey, man," and said, "Hey, dude, what was your strategy for attacking this monster project? How did you do it?" Because the original S and M sounds incredible. It sounds great, yeah. And you know, Bob Rock did an amazing job. So Greg mm-hmm. kind of had some shoulders to stand on. Uh, Bob Rock went into this with what's the precedent for him? That Deep Purple album from the seventies, where they played with an orchestra. Who knows? Crest of the Nave. I mean, <laughs> Crest of the Nave. Uh, this is Bob Rock's last full length with the band. Did he do he no, did, no, no, he, no. He did Saint Anger. Oh my God! Right, sorry. You fail. Wow, amateur hour. You fail. Jesus. You will. I met his last live full length. That's what I was trying to say. You will never play the Ryman. Wow. Dude. <laughs> that was a, that was a full on amateur brain fart mistake right there. That's okay. At least we caught it. At least I wasn't like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it totally. Was. And then, and then it, here, here's, and then I could have been like, well, I don't know. Let's look it up. And then you look it up. And you're like, yep, this is the last thing. <laughs> that was the one. <laughs> no, man, he did. I disappear, and then he did Saint Anger. Yeah. So. You know, that's that's what we got. Yeah. It'd be interesting, you know, once we finally do nab old Bob Rock for the podcast, I would love to hear about the S&M process the first time around. Absolutely. Because you know how Greg was basically the... Uh, Greg was basically the music director yeah. for this gig. He was there in the rehearsals. He was making notes. He was working closely with Edwin Outwater. He was basically the liaison between Edwin and the band. I wonder if Bob Rock was at the rehearsals for this. So I wonder if Bob Rock was like that or if they just... Because I, I think they treated the show a little more chill. Yeah. So they were like, hey, when we record this crazy kooky show in April, will you mix it? And he was right. like, yeah. So he may have been up in Vancouver singing about going to fucking Hawaii right. with the with the waterfall ponytail and a fanny pack. And a blouse. Uh, and, a, and, a, and a beautiful blouse. Flowy blouse. Uh, listening to some old payola records. Yeah. And then just kind of gone down just to mix it, gotten all the stems, and it may have just been a mixing gig. Yeah. I mean, I'm very, very curious about all that. Okay, uh, October 19th, the Woodstock 99 compilation released featuring Metallica's performance of Creeping Death. Now, I remember this double CD. I was going to yeah. read what a lot of the other songs were, but here's what was really weird about it. Almost, I mean, it's a double album. You can see, well, we, Ethan and I can see here the list of the track list. Almost, more than half of these were just the album versions of these songs. They weren't the live performances oh, from Woodstock. weird. I never owned this, so. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is weird. I think it was just some sort of copyright issue. Or or do you think that you know, Metallica records all their own shows? Maybe it was an issue like that where maybe the Woodstock people didn't have 
a way to record all these bands. So if if it was available, let's take that. But if it's not, we use the. Album I think version. I think what's more likely is that they couldn't get. I think it was a legal issue. Right. Whoever orchestrated Woodstock 99 surely thought we're going to make an album from this and we're going to sell it. Right. But then you think about all the different camps you had to, you know, coordinate with on the publishing, the royalties, the rights to the song. Yeah. Maybe some of these bands are in different, you know, Alanis Morissette, maybe in a different recording contract situation, doesn't even own the master of that song or own, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But it seems like a really weird move to make a Woodstock 99 compilation and have most of the tracks be the album cuts. Yeah, it's cool to see Fire by the Chili Peppers on there. I'm not familiar with that song. That, that's uh, their cover of uh, Jimi Hendrix. Oh. I'm not familiar with that song either. Uh, look it up. I'm just kidding. Um, I just, speaking of Chili Peppers, last night I was just on YouTube finding some funny stuff to watch. Mm-hmm. And I saw a suggested video for uh, Chili Peppers just this year. It was uh, Rock and Rio. Yeah. And it was like like an hour and 45 minute set. And I sat down and watched the whole thing. And I loved every fucking minute of it. Dude, they're awesome. And then I started looking up their exact ages. Mm-hmm. Flea and Anthony Kiedis. Or Flea. Yeah. And Anthony Kiedis are 57 years old. Wow. Still in great shape. Chad Smith is 59. Wow. And still beats the fuck out of those drums. Yeah. And is... None of those dudes look like they're slowing down at all. Frushani's not with them anymore, right? No, no, he's been in the band for a while. But one of his best friends has played on the last two records. What's that guy's name? Josh Klinghoffer, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, he he's he's like Frushante double. Yeah, I mean, he kind of has long hair, plays with his head down all the time, plays a strat. Right. Um, but they sound so fucking good, still, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Anthony Kiedis sounded good. Sounded great. Yeah. He's had har- some rough patches. Had some rough patches, but I mean, all the harmonies sounded good. I mean, it was it was so fun to watch that sh- that set. I've been going through a big Faith No More thing, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's interesting. Like the uh, like Mike Patton had some they had some beef with uh, Anthony Kiedis. I think it that was on the Anthony Kiedis where the Chili Peppers Wikipedia. There was a whole, like a whole article about it, and I think I think it's still technically going on. Well, I guess. I guess Anthony Kiedis took issue with Mike Patton kind of doing the rap rock metal thing, funk shit. But then also in the Epic video, you know, he kind of looks like Anthony Kiedis. Right, yeah. But I don't know. It gets really brutal, man, because like Mike Patton, there's like there's like video of Mr. Bungle performances where they're doing uh, Give It Away. Yeah. And they're like pretending to shoot to shoot heroin oh geez and like mike Patton's jabs back in the press were like no you know i don't have a problem with them maybe he'd sing better if he wasn't a fucking junkie and oh, shit geez. it's like oh man he's been sober for a long time but he but in the 90s he was fucked up in the early 90s early 90s yeah, 80s and early 90s like blood sugar era well under the bridge is about about sh- junk right yeah, yeah. Um, I want to read Scar Tissue, by the way. I never read that. That was Anthony Kiedis' uh, autobiography. Yeah, and Flea is about to put out a book. Hell yeah. Called Acid for Children. Or Give Acid to Children. <laughs> it's something weird. What a title. Uh, yeah. Give Acid to Children. I think it's Acid for Children, something like that. But, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, meanwhile, back in Metallica land, <laughs> November 8th, and they'll leave Clover Music Video premieres, directed by Wayne Isham. Uh, November 16th, the WCW Mayhem compilation featuring the Seek and Destroy performance from Woodstock. Other bands on that were Megadeth, Slayer, Kid Rock, ICP, Limp Bizkit, Cypress Hill, just to give you a little taste of what that must have been like. I, I never really got I never got into that shit, like the soundtracks that would... I was also not a big WCW guy. I was a big WWF guy. Yeah, I, I never really bought that kind of stuff. November 19th, SNM performs in Berlin, Germany with the Babelsburger. Babelsburger. <laughs> Film Orchestra. On the 23rd, they did the same thing in MSG with the New York Symphonic Orchestra. 
And I, the MSG gig is online. I recommend checking it out. Yeah, it's cool. Man, it would have been cool if they were, re- I mean, obviously it's such a big project, but recorded those. Yeah, that would have been cool. You don't really hear much about those two gigs. No, I mean, there. I mean, literal years went by. I didn't even know they happened. I didn't either. I didn't. I don't think I knew that those happened until we started this podcast. There wasn't a lot of press about S and M at the time. I remember yeah. it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, like I remember being shocked by it. Yeah, not not by shocked by the premise of it, but being shocked by like, oh, there's a new Metallica show happening next week with an orchestra. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, shit, they're going to make it an album. Holy shit, awesome. Yeah, great. But I don't remember a lot of press about it. Same with Garage Inc. Other than the videos, Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of, like, you know, uh, big articles written, at least that I remember. I don't remember, like, Rolling Stone spreads on S&M. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just I found out about all that at, like, Tower Records, you know, downstairs from my house in Orange County. Like, walk in, it's like, oh, shit, Metallica's, I heard about Garage Inc., and then here it's coming out in a month or whatever. In fact, you know what the first thing I probably remember? Because... S&M wasn't released until the 23rd. So that means November 8th is when no, the No Leaf Clover video drops, which, by the way, directed by Wayne, Wayne Isham, who did S&M 2, and mm-hmm. did Inner Sandman. He's done a shitload of Metallica stuff. Yeah. Uh, but that was probably when I learned about it, was when they when they released No Leaf Clover. Yeah, maybe so. And I remember like the, the day it came out, I was at my the dudes I played in the band with at their house that night. Someone had taped it off MTV, yeah, and we, cool. we learned it from the tape. Awesome. But I remember, we, I remember me and my friend starting. We were like, how old were we? were in ninety nine, like fourteen, fifteen, and starting to develop our ear and trying to pick out that badu, 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 by ear and like getting getting some of it wrong and like, no, dude, this is a that's a G, you know, whatever. Like that was another great thing about MTV is back then you could record videos or watch them. I would often learn how to play songs by MTV Unplugged. Absolutely, because watch like Pearl Jam playing Even Flow or something or whatever. Unplugs. It's so funny. People don't. People don't. Who maybe weren't learning to play guitar at that time don't understand. But a music video like for Pearl Jam, for example, mm-hmm. the live video or the Even Flow video, which was a live version, you just can't see much. Yeah. The Unplugged, you could see their hands. Yes. Even if there was a, a sort of wide shot of Eddie singing, you could still see Mike's hands. Mm-hmm. And that's, I remember learning to play guitar that way too. Absolutely. I mean, I still referenced the Allison Chains one when I was recording my cover of, of them uh, uh, down the hole. I think for harmony reasons, maybe. I was like, wait, what is Jerry singing there? Their harmonies are so crazy. I love them. They're so good. They're, they're really unique that's harmonies. What, that's what makes it. It's the, the sound of that band. It really is. Yeah. I was recently uh, watching a bunch of Jerry Cantrell interviews just yeah. for fun. And uh, I kind of saw a sad one where he was talking about that unplug. You know, that unplug gig was their last gig. Was that the final? That was their last gig. That was the last one. Yeah, I thought the those Kiss shows were. Uh, they did do some shows with Kiss, but I think that might have been well, they, before they, they left the tour because Lane overdosed one night. Like, yeah, like four shows in or something. Yeah, that was a big tour for that. That was the first time I saw Kiss. That was their reunion tour. Okay, so that was like '96. Yeah. Wow. Such a sad story. Totally. Such a sad story. So November 23rd, as I mentioned, they uh, released S&M, CD, DVD, VHS. They also released Cliff Em All, Year and a Half in the Life on DVD. So that was kind of a big content day. Yeah. And also, uh, speaking of, you know, seeing what the time was and what was popular back then, vinyl was way uncool at this point absolutely it was so down because they didn't even press on the vinyl originally and and it goes to show dude it's like of s of s&m they pretty, no they they've, have i'm saying but not, no 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 they pressed original vinyl original vinyl remember we gave one away at our party i don't know i don't realize that Chris was, Year just donated one 
I it's an original, original. It's an original electric pressing of S and M. Well, you didn't put it in the notes here. I didn't think I needed to. You put VHS in there. <laughs> well, a lot of the vinyl that came out in the mid to late nineties was promo only. Right. So there's most of your favorite records, like for example, the big white uh, whale mm-hmm. in the Dave Matthews Pantheon is before these crowded streets, which came out in ninety seven. Right. That vinyl goes for like seven hundred bucks. Jeez. Because they haven't reissued it, but they they probably pressed about a thousand of them. Yeah. They were still pressing vinyl. Uh, like Tool Enema, they mm-hmm. press that on vinyl. That's ninety six. Yeah, that one is worth a ton. Those go for like four hundred bucks. Uh, I think it's more now. I think it's it like might be over a thousand. I think. I'll tell you what. If you own an Enema vinyl, and a lot of the mid mid era Pearl Jam shit was like no code and yield, super rare. Mm-hmm. But what happened is a couple years ago, Pearl Jam reissued all that, so the yeah. value is just way down. If yeah. You, I, my 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 advice to all of you, if you own any of that Tool vinyl, is to sell it now because they're about to reissue all their shit. Are they? Oh yeah. Well, they got this new record, this new tour. They put everything on streaming. Yeah. Uh, the top 10 songs on iTunes were 10 Tool songs. That's amazing. Um, they're just rolling out their whole deal. This, yeah. This is, this is going to be the next three years is going to be the year of Tool. Yeah. You know? Uh, so anyway, they did release it on vinyl, but I just think it was super rare. Okay. Crazy. I didn't know that. December 8th, Metallica wins two Billboard Music Awards for Catalog Artist of the Year and Catalog Album of the Year. Again, sounding very corporate. Yeah. Uh, they performed the symphony version of Until It Sleeps with Michael Kamen on top of the MGM Grand Hotel with the New York City Orchestra of St. Luke's. I have a clip of that because it's a fucking awesome performance. Shall we watch it together, Ethan? We shall. Shall we? Please with me. Yeah. Digga digga diggy. I love that guitar. I know. The way it sounds. Great. How crazy is it that that's the same James who did S&M in April? He cut his hair. Like, this is the I Disappear look. Yeah. The James look. Hold on when it puts it back on him. That's the I Disappear look. Like the chin strap, beard. And the long goatee. Yeah. Think about he he looked completely different for S and M. Yeah, he had longer hair for sure. He also looks very menacing in this performance. Yeah. And notice they're in the round. Yeah, in the round. It looks kind of like SNM too. It really does. Michael Kamen right next to Lars. Look how creepy James looks. looks. real creepy, yeah. I love it. It's also kind of the way he's shot from above, too. 
So he's like looking up. That's definitely a. It may helps with the creepiness. It may also have something to do with all the fog. There's the fog too. <laughs> all Newstead. Ah. I can't overstate it enough, man. This was my Metallica. Yeah, man. It absolutely is your the Metallica. The songs, the way they look. Yeah. This is just me as a kid. They were my favorite band in the whole world. Absolutely. I get it, man. Great solo from Kirk. Jason and James doing that echo vocal. Mm -hmm. Check out this Don't Want It section, man. Hell yeah. It's it, it's still sometimes weird to see James with very minimal tattoos. Oh yeah. Now I know. he's like fully sleeved now, but See, Jason's vocals blended so well with James's. Yeah. It's different enough, mm -hmm. but it blended well. It, it did blend well, yeah. No Cookie Monster shit, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great performance. It's the way the cookie crumbles. Well, that was a lot of fun to watch. It was. I had fun. I, <laughs> I had a good time. I'm sure of that. Again, it just kind of blows me away how different he looks. I know. It is crazy. A lot can happen in however many months that is. April, months, month, yeah. December. A couple get, months. Get a set of scissors and <laughs> go to town. I love how Larry David calls scissors a scissor. A scissor. You ever seen that? <laughs> I don't think you have, I have. A, you have a scissor I can use? Anyone have a scissor? I'm like, wow. I grew up calling them scissors. Scissors, yeah. Even though I guess it is a scissor. It's a scissor. Or is each side a scissor? Right, which would know. make it scissors. We can get this scissor is the kind of deep. Expert. This is the kind of deep shit we get into on Metal Up Your Podcast. I imagine what we talk about after we're done recording. We got a few more here. December twenty eighth and 29th, the M two K mini tour begins. You get it? Ooh, get it? Y two K was a really huge deal. Remember, we thought the whole we, the computers weren't going to be able to yeah. factor in the new year, and then there were the. I mean, my grandparents had a Y two K room. A lot of people did, yeah. I thought it was slightly silly, but in the back of my mind, I was like, I mean, is something going to happen? And I remember at one point, I thought, whatever time it was in California compared to Australia, I was like, well, okay, they, they're already approaching their new year, so... Yeah, do we have word that if, they're still alive? If no one can figure it out, then surely they're going to collapse, right? Nothing happened. And then as you know, the time went on, you know, California's in the, one of the last time zones before you get to like Hawaii and stuff like that, and all the way out to the uh, international dateline. So then it's like London, New Year, everything's fine. New York, everything's fine. Like, okay, we're going right. to be fine. Yeah. I remember being 15 years old and being like, uh, you know, you know when you're like 15 and like, you're like, I don't know, it'd be kind of exciting if the world ends or changes or what if the, all the power just goes out. You know, I, I didn't have any, I didn't have any money or any, uh, you know, assets. I didn't have right. a family yeah. except for like my, you know what I mean? I didn't have like a wife. I didn't have anything to worry about. Yeah. 
I was just in high school. So the idea of like the world crashing down and you know like post apocalyptic, you know, yeah. eating eating rats and eating each other yeah. sounded pretty metal and fun to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I remember playing. I, I played like a local like house show that night for, for a friend's band, and uh, when they did the countdown to midnight. <clears throat> Countdown to midnight. Somebody, uh, somebody uh, went to the breaker box, and when it was like three, two, one, and just shut all the power off to the house, it was pretty funny. As a joke, nobody told. Yeah, nobody. Uh, wow, he didn't mention to anybody, and was like, "What the fuck?" Oh wait, the next member lights are still on. We're good. <laughs> well, I guess these dudes weren't all that worried because they played a show. So first of all, the MT, M2K mini tour begins in Miami at the Orange Bowl in St. Petersburg. The set list was fascinating. They opened with they opened with "Die Die My Darling." They played the Four Horsemen. They played two by four. Cool. The Master Terium mix up, which I was able to see the, mm-hmm. the, the following year in two thousand. Uh, Black and King Nothing. They ended with Phantom Lord. Wow, isn't that awesome? That's awesome. So December thirty first, the New Year's Eve gig in Detroit, Michigan, at the Pontiac Silverdome called the Whiplash Bash, and it was co-headlined with Ted Nugent. That seems which weird. seems pretty weird. I mean, you know, he's the Motor City Madman, but well, I mean, we get it. He's but popularity wise, I know he's been around forever, but it's like. I saw him in 2001 on the Kiss Farewell Tour, open for Kiss. Yeah. And it was pretty banging. It was pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. Well, he's a wild guy, man. It he was, is, yeah. He, you know, he's got about five songs that are that are just bangers. Yeah. It's fucking Stranglehold. Stranglehold, yeah. One of the greatest solos ever recorded. Yeah. Uh, of course, Cat Scratch Fever, Wango Tango. Yeah. He's got about five of those. Yeah, for sure. Um, a whole set, a whole headlining set of that? Yeah, I don't know if I'd be... Stormtroopers. I'd be going to uh, making a lot of beer runs, a lot of PP beer, a, PP a lot of a lot of weigh your crap. Yeah, porta potty visits. <laughs> Remember weigh your crap. Weigh your crap was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Weighing your crap is awesome too. It is awesome, and yeah. if you can do it in a weigh your crap porta potty toilet while singing the jingle, why not? Why why not? Now the interesting thing about the gig is the of course the boys played kisses, you know masterpiece detroit rock city in the second encore with guests kid rock ted nugent and seven dust i have a clip of that ethan if you'd like to hear some i would of love it. to hear that i'm not sure the audio quality is good but let's check it out the nuge the nuge A little Paganini for you all. Hello. <laughs> That's a pretty good solo. They've already messed it up. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, I could hear Hatfield cover anything. I'll be stoked. I know, yeah. He sounds good on it. 
Pretty cool. Yeah. Supposed to go right into verse two. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing. You can hear it. <laughs> I want to hear the solo though. Oh, they're fucking it up. So that sounds like they just started the solo. James starts singing the third verse over yeah. that. I mean, I'd imagine they probably that day decided to learn it, ran over sure. it real quick, and then just... Bur- no, no, I forgive them. And I, and, and honestly... I also want to all hammered on stage, too, before well, James got sober. Yeah, I don't think Ted. Ted's the sober guy, but for sure the other guys. For right, sure. yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. Hey, that was fun. <laughs> hey, well, that's eight minutes long, and I'm going to spare everybody the, uh, the torture <laughs> of hearing that whole thing. Yeah, you can guys can look it up. But anytime bands do pay some sort of homage to a city they're in or have the guests, the people who played before them mm-hmm. up, just to have some fun to do something. You know what that is? That's like what we used to do when we were kids. Remember when you were a kid? You're like, let's play fucking, you know, Rock and Roll Star by Oasis. Right, I yeah. don't really know it. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. We knew it, but we don't know how to play it. Yeah, exactly. So you just jump. It was kind of like a dive in. You were kind of a lame you were kind of lame if you weren't willing to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've done that, you know, even as a grown man. You're jumping on stage with friends like, you know, buddies in Hillbilly Casino when they play on Broadway. Years ago, I used to go down there and hang out mm-hmm. while they played. And then just Jeff would be like, hey, uh, we're going to give our drummer a, a bathroom break. You want to get up here and play? I actually played Detroit Rock City one time. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm, I didn't know rehearsal. That's what I'm and going with what you're saying is I just like, I think I know it. Okay, here we go. Let's try it. But I mean, even before we were playing on stage, like just being in my the basement of whoever's mom's house where we like had band practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was always like a lot of what the playing was was let's play fucking Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, it's like what well, maybe one of us had the tab book. Let's try figure it out. Maybe yeah. one of us kind of knew it a little better than the other, but then you would just show them. You tab know? books were so exciting back then too. Well, and they were hard for me to get because they were usually like twenty five or thirty bucks. Yeah. And when you're twelve and thirteen and fourteen, fifteen, it's hard to come across that. For me, it yeah. was. Did you have friends that had them and you like do like trade or whatever? Like, hey, I'll let you borrow this CD if I can borrow your. I whatever tab book I would borrow the tab book and go to my the office my mom worked at and make fucking photocopies. Ooh, that's a good another call. thing I used to do is before I had the internet, I, everything cool that happened, my more well to do friends had before me. Mm-hmm. My friends always had DVDs before me. They had the internet before me. Yeah, they all had a car before me. Yep. So I went over to my friends' houses who had the fucking internet, AOL 3.0 dial up, <laughs> and I wouldn't even hang out with them. I would just go into where their computer room and print out as many tabs as I could. Yeah. I would go to like, um, what were the big sites back then for t- Harmony Central. Harmony Central, yeah. Remember Harmony Central? Oh, yeah. And so I, I would just sit there and rack my brain. like Because what that would be for me, what I was essentially printing out were keys to doors that would open into other worlds because mm-hmm. I didn't have, my ear wasn't developed. So if I want to learn how to play Dissident by Pearl Jam, I had to have the tab. Oh, absolutely. So I would get like every Pearl Jam song I could that I didn't already know. Mm-hmm. Every fucking Metallica and Gun song and just print them out. The problem with tabs at that time is that not a lot of them were reliable. Yeah, there were a lot were inaccurate because it wasn't like the band officially putting these out or any any band really. It was usually like some dude named Wolfgang or something that would wasn't that his name? Wasn't like those were that was like who published those. Yeah, I remember that logo. Yeah, it was probably some dude who who was good at it. But even the official ones, though, I remember learning them from the official tab books and mm-hmm. watching videos and seeing that. Yeah. And seeing that they did them different. Where did you get all your tabs when you were a kid? Same deal, Harmony Central? Uh, when I was younger, before internet, because my family didn't get internet until probably like 90... 
We got internet in like 97. Yeah, that was about the era, uh, era for us too. So like back in the 80s and early in 90s, I was I would like save up allowance and then the, the music store that you know I would take lessons out or buy gear from, I would go in there and if they had the Master Puppets one or whatever, I'd, I'd have them save it for me and I could save up. And it was just an exciting time. It was like, you're op- like you said, you're opening this door to this new world mm-hmm. and it's like, holy shit, right. I can figure out how to play this song in Justice for All or whatever, you know? Well, and for me, learning how to play Inner Sandman, for example, whatever, that would be that would just be I don't know forty five hours straight of entertainment. For Absolutely, me. and I couldn't do it without that tab. Yeah. Do you remember at, at a certain point as a young guitar player, you always knew how many songs you knew? Oh, like, dude, I meant like twenty seven songs. Ab- now. Absolutely, I know twenty. I play twenty seven songs. I remember knowing exactly how many Metallica songs I knew, and I remember the goal was always to keep adding because my little band of brothers we were really, we adopted that Metallica ego. Yeah. So our whole deal was like, if you can't play it all the way through, you don't know it. <laughs> right. And and we would hold it. I mean, you know, it was no joke. So if my buddy came to school on a Thursday and said, hey, man, I know Ride the Lightning now. And of course, me, uh, my friends were better players than me. So for me, it was a struggle. But I had this one guy that was like, just really good. Yeah. He was just, he just he, his right hand developed really quick. He was really good. He's like, I got Ride the Lightning. And I remember being like, bullshit bullshit i'm gonna need to see that <laughs> and and we would do that like so the friday night when i went to his house yeah i was like all right motherfucker what do you got and he we would put the record on he would tune to the record because lightning the whole record's a little wonky yeah and i would watch him do it and be like motherfucker he, he knows it and it, that and we couldn't add it to the to the tally unless we could do that yeah play it all the way through it was so impressive when your friends are really, a little bit better than you when you know you'd say like uh y'all can play this the solo to one yeah like, no fucking way let me see this yeah and you watch him do it and it was just like i did it with him and uh we the one solo was a big deal for us yeah and i did james's harmony part in the solo and i could hang with that and we would even do the different things they did live yeah but I would do the James part while he would do the rest of the solo. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, this is the coolest guy in the world. I could never play the solo. The one solo is crazy. It is, yeah. It's fucking hard. And we would all, he would always give me the easy, slow solos at the tops of the songs. Yeah. So like I would do... Yeah, fade to black. Well, the fade to black part, I struggle with. I mean, I can do it now, but when I was 15, 13, I couldn't. Yeah, that was a tough one. That was a tough part. But I could do the sanitarium solo. You know, I could do the one solo. Yeah. The top one. The second sanitarium solo was always a tough one. That did the... That old part. Yeah. That was always tough for me when I was younger. Yeah. Played my sleep now. That was some good maniacal laughter, dude. Thanks. Some Inspector Gadget level shit. Thanks. I like to laugh. I like to laugh. Well, we did it. 1999, it's burnt down. The the next one we do, we don't know when it'll be, but it'll be the year 2000. And that's, of course, a great opportunity to just do a deep dive into the Napster controversy. Yeah, that'll be be a good good time. We've talked about it before. Obviously, um, Lars, in many ways, was correct to be concerned about what was happening with file sharing. He couldn't even anticipate the shit show from streaming mm-hmm. and in terms of like copy what copyright law would have to do to keep up with copies of things not being physical right you know this all just lives in a cloud now so what does that mean for copyright for bands for revenue mm-hmm. um so we're gonna have to get into all that and and we're gonna have to really brush up on that and, and bring a lot to the table in terms Absolutely, of research because yeah. that it's it it turns into all youtube streaming spotify obviously even something like Pandora Radio, iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. You know, Napster was like the first time where people got a glimpse of what could be possible in both good and bad ways with, yeah. with art, with music. Yeah. 
That'll be that'll be a really interesting episode to do. I'm I'm really looking forward to that one. For Another sure. thing that happened in 2000 was the notorious Playboy interview, where you just get this really weird peek into the dysfunction of Metallica mm-hmm. because it's just really clear that they're all upset and and grumpy and burned out. Yeah, and that interview was done with all four of them separate. Yeah, separately, and then the, whoever edited it sort of mashed it all together. So they're saying thing they're not in front of each other. Yeah, okay. you see what I'm saying. So when James is being asked about Jason, Jason James is responding as if Jason's not there. Right. Same thing with Jason. That's so crazy. So they're a little they're a little more prickly. Yeah, for sure. So we'll get into all that. It's going to be fun. You're in the life of Metallica. Uh, if you dig the show, seriously, just do it now. Take the time. Go leave the review in iTunes. Usually wherever you listen, if you look in the links to the episode, we have a link right there to our iTunes mm-hmm. page where you should be able to just go. And you don't even have to write anything. If you just leave five stars, that'll count. That'll do. And I, I would encourage you all, as we kind of move into maybe what might be one of the last phases of the podcast, to get on board with the Patreon, support the show, uh, be a part of what makes the show cool, right? right. Uh, anything else before we split? Are you on the road this week or anything? Or you, get, yeah. you going to some cool places? Uh, I'm flying to Seattle on Friday. Oh, I'm flying to Seattle next month. Well, let's just have both well, of our camps change their schedules. They really should. Fly there It'd be more convenient for us. What are you doing this weekend? Uh, I'm pretty dang free in the next two weeks. And next next weekend, I'm going down to Florida for a couple of days for my wife's birthday. Oh, fun. That'll be a good time. Um, Happy birthday to Callie. Yeah. And I don't have anything else on the road as of now until December 8th, I think. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of home for a while. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be working hard on my uh, cover all word black in volume four. Yep. Uh, now that I'm home a lot, so I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm halfway done with my four awesome. songs. So awesome. yeah, so that's gonna be another eight song compilation of Metallica covers on the on cover all word black in volume three. We took a break from Metallica and did some of our favorite songs from uh, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, and Nirvana. Yeah. But we're back on the Metallica train. And you, uh, previous episodes, I've played my turn the page and my Carpe Diem baby. Mm-hmm. I'm toying with one spit out the bone. Okay. Call of Cthulhu and Hero of the Day. I'm trying to f- and, and, my, and minus human. So I've kind of got five. Oh, right. you're doing five. Okay. Well, no, no, I'm not doing five. Those are those are the five that are kind of on my list that I'm trying to figure out if which one's going to be the best. I'm trying. Uh, well, I, I I've already begun Dire's Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, considering bleeding me. Awesome. Uh, until it sleeps. Yep. And uh, I'm trying to figure out something with Fade to Black. Yeah. But I love the song Fade to Black. If when I if I'm doing a version of it, it bothers me. There's no chorus. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. Just sing Fade to Black over and over that. Fade to Black. Well, we love all of you out there in Metal Up Your Podcast Land. We thank all of you for supporting us and following us on the socials. And everyone who sends takes the time to send an email or say hi or send us stuff to give away to patrons. It's a wonderful community out there that I feel so lucky to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we, th- we love you guys and always eternally grateful for the support. Yeah. And uh, with that, yeah, we'll say peace and adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>